This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to tonight's program with Coach Menachem Berfel. Thank you for joining us. Tonight is Shear 145. I think there's a lot of things happening tonight, but for those who came here, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Again, I want to first thank everybody for posting on the WhatsApp statuses and letting people know about it, emailing it to people. Like I say every week, not every share might be for everybody. You know, everybody's in different situations, but definitely let people know what's 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 the program Sunday, so people can join, people be part of it. You never know who needs what, and um, try to be mechazik. Um, again, if anyone wants to join and get the flyers every Sunday, you can WhatsApp me at eight four eight five two five zero zero six six. Again, that's eight four eight five two five zero zero six six. Or you can go to menachemberfel to his website. You can get uh, sign up for his emails with the speakers, the replays, and all the good zachen. That Menachem sends out. All the people that are watching the replay of this on YouTube, you can click on the like button and click on the subscribe button. So Menachem, every week when he uploads the videos, Monday morning, you could uh, see them right when they come out. First, let's start with all our advertising sponsors. First, the Lakewood Scoop here in Lakewood for promoting us every week. We really appreciate it. Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central. Mikhail Kaufman from JC and the Jewish Content Network for always promoting us on all the digital Jewish platforms. Uh, the OK Clarity is uh, is collaborating together with Coach Menachem. OKClarity.com is the place for any year to find a top-notch therapist, coach, or nutritionist. OKClarity.com, you find professionals that have vetted and extensive experience working in the Jewish community, and yes, you can even find Coach Menachem Berenfold there. If anybody wants to join them or see the statuses, you can WhatsApp them at 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. And Menachem Hashem will send out in the email how to connect with them and all that stuff. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night, we've been doing this for a long time. But for those people who don't know, every Sunday night, 9.30, we have different abonim, different therapists, the best of the best that come onto this program. And please join us. Next week, we're going to have um, what they call him the Tony, Tony Robbins of the Jewish community, um, who was on before Shmuel Reichman. He's coming on for round two. And the topic is really, what does Hashem, does Hashem want you to financially succeed? And if so, how to do it? So he's going to be talking about succeeding and um he was very good when he was on last time and he said he really wants to come back again he wants to take on a different angle so please join us next week we'll get into a meaningful program let people know about it and tonight we have the and the honor of having us with us or and epstein Ruben, you must be good if this is already the second time you're on i'm just letting you know so the oil mm. so we appreciate you coming on Hashem. and Ruben's involved in a lot of things and i'm sure he could tell you some of the stuff he's involved in but he's all over the place we appreciate him giving a time coming to be Mechazik and the hundreds of people that are here tonight and the thousands of people that are going to listen to this later. We're going to start first with the Gematria tonight. Shear is 145. I came up with the Gematria, a little help with ChatGPT, but this is the Gematria that we came out with. 145 is Kuma, right? It stands for Kum. It means to rise, to stand. And this could be, we should say, when couples are facing complex situations and they need to rise above the challenges, you should find a way to stand strong together. So that's the Gematria tonight, Shear. I hope that fits in with what Ruben is saying. Hope ChatGPT knows knows its stuff. <laughs> we can give out these ideas here. There's no secrets. Again, we're going to start off first with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. Shkoyah for joining us. Menachem came back. He was away for a little bit. Menachem, what are we doing here tonight? What's that mean? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I first want to welcome everyone tonight. Welcome to another Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Baruch Hashem with a lot of Siata Deshmaya, number 145. And uh, yes, it's been a while. Baruch Hashem with a lot of success. And um, the feedback that we're getting is amazing. Bar Hashem, you know, opening different ideas, different perspectives. 
and connecting people to different speakers, therapists, places where they can get the help and some lights into their into their lives. So yeah, it's a big skill to have Rabbi Epstein again tonight in Mitzvahim. We're going to be talking about Shalom Bias, and the truth is we've discussed Shalom Bias many times on this program. We've put on the table a lot of different challenges and different ideas. But uh, I think tonight we're going to take it more to more specific in Mitzvahim. But before we start, it's just interesting. If you think about Shalom Bias, marriage, I'm not, I don't have to be the one to tell you. The truth is that marriage is... Is is a partial You take two people and they live together for years, many, many years. Two people. There are no two people the same, let alone uh, um, a man and a woman. But there are no two people the same. You get to know people, and when you get to know them after a while, you realize, oh, I never knew this about them. I didn't know that this, you know, different personalities. Everybody is different. Take two people, they should live together, try to figure everything out together, everything, they should do together, everything. It, it does sound like a nace. And Baruch Hashem, it does work for many. However, there are some people who are struggling. There are those who believe that it's not working for them. And there are many that even think that they're here tonight for no good reason, because they don't believe that anything can help them in their situation. And many times we listen to ideas and we think, yeah, it's very good for for people who, for other people. For that person, it helps. But my situation, if you would only know my situation, it doesn't work in my situation. So again, you have to understand that, you know, it could be you're in such a place. Um, I don't know, and no one knows. You're the only one that knows. But to be able to listen to new ideas, to see maybe there's something that we can do. The million-dollar question that everybody has is, what could I do to change my spouse? How do we get them to change? And that's what we're working on again and again. They should change and they should change. Until we realize it's not working. They're not changing. Another idea is we have to think what part of our struggles are real and what percent of our struggles is because we live in a community, uh, neighbors, what other people are doing. Look how that person, you know, the grass is always greener over there and why are they managing? If you would live on an island all by yourself with your spouse, now, it could be, a way, it wouldn't, you know, you would expect better, more. But now, this is, you no. Know, we believe that Hashem made the Shidduch. You know, this is your Avaida. How much of it can you work out? Could you make it work? And with all the noise that's going on in the world, if you don't have all the noise from what's going on in your world, again, today with the... Uh, with the phones and technology, what well, we see what's going on. But if you live in an island, nothing going on. You pick the cherries, you eat your tomatoes. <laughs> and again, you might say it's not reality, but just it's an important awareness to, to see the, the pain that I'm going through, how much of it is real and how much of it is because others have better. I could have done better. Others are doing it. Why can't mine? And why can't I be there? I, I think it's an important thing to think about. So, and with that, we'll start the Mitzvah Shem. 
we need a lot of siyata d'shmai, especially when talking about Shalom bias, talking about, it could be a painful topic for, for many, but to be able to sit and listen, and maybe some ideas can come up, maybe we can use something that could help everybody in their level, and take it, Mitzvah one step at a time. Rabbi Epstein, and we should have a lot of siyata d'shmai in Mitzvah Amen. Okay, so let's get into the topic tonight. The topic is titled it, Lessons Learned from the Rabbinic Marriage Counselor's Desk. I'm assuming that's uh, Rabbi Epstein. I'm just taking a wild guess over here. <laughs> and really, the, we're talking about decoding the complexities couples face in today's world of what we're dealing with today. Rabbi Ruben, I'm going to read your uh, bio, and then you're going to take it away, okay? Sure. Rabbi Ruben Epstein, CPA, is a highly re- regarded dating and marriage expert. He heads the Marriage Project, an online in-person resource for couples looking to maximize their relationship. He's involved in the community, extends the custom classes, marriage-related shilas, rabbinic counseling, guidance, speaking engagements, and for more information, anybody, you know, resources and seminars, you can go to his website, which is marriagepro.co. Again, that's marriagepro.co. Ruben, again, thank you for coming on, and open it up. Thank you so much. And I got to just give you guys another shout out. We did this before, but I have to just say this live. Kalakavod on the amazing platform that you've created over here week after week without fail. You guys are better than the U.S. Postal Service. Neither rain or sleet or shine or whatever their slogan is. Um, Kalakavod, you guys really are just doing an amazing job. And Hashem should just give you the kayak and the, you know, siyata deshmaya just to continue bringing amazing content to Kalakavod. So, I want to talk tonight about a topic which became very near and dear to me as I sit with couples on a daily basis. And over the course of the last about dozen years, I have literally sat through thousands of meetings with, you know, various couples and watching people come through the door, sometimes in a very low state. And then hopefully with a lot of Seattle, seeing them, you know, transform their own marriages and relationships as you know, time goes on, there are certain key factors, which I notice that, you know, couples that want to strengthen themselves are sort of able to do. So sometimes I notice that we talk in the extremes. So I'm not going to use any extreme examples over here. Um, But just for the everyday man, the regular person who just wants to make their marriage better, make their life better, like, what are like, how do do you do that? So I'm actually going to run a bit of a risk, something that I, I, I hate to do, which is to use a VART which people may have heard before. I always like to like tap into something which is a chiddush, but there was a, a question that was bothering me for a very long time. And I just saw this answer recently and I started jumping up and down. I was so excited. But at the same time, I realized that it's such a classic question that people may have heard this before. There's a very famous medrash that everybody's familiar with, which is that we, we know kasha zivugim kakriya siyamsuf. That Hashem says that kasha zivugim kakriya siyamsuf. It's, it's hard to make shaduchim like kriya siyamsuf. I'm all familiar with the story of Shlomo Melech and the Medrash brings down other people as well who, who's, who basically said, like, what's the big deal? You know, you could go ahead and you could just take two people, put them together in a room. They'll be married and everything will work out. And then in the morning, this one's eye was popped out. This one's, you know, leg was broken. This one's arm was broken. And it just, it just didn't work. That experiment just didn't work. And you see from there, Kasha Zivugim Kriyas Yamsuf. You see that Zivugim marriages are as hard as Kriyas Yamsuf. And the question is like a simple question, which is that like, Kriyas Yamsuf didn't seem that difficult for Hashem to do. You know, Hashem is a kol yachal. He's able to do everything. Didn't seem that it was all that challenging for Hashem to split the Yamsuf. So just like this wasn't so challenging. So making a Shadduch is not so challenging. So what is so challenging about Shadduchim? And I saw an answer recently, which really just opened my eyes because it, it sheds a lot of light on the Avaida of marriage. 
if you think about what Kriyas Yamsov was, there were two elements to Kriyas Yamsov. The natural state of water is that water is all together. It all flows. And in fact, splitting water is quite easy. Think about a rock. You take like a big boulder. To crack a rock is much harder than to crack water, right? But when you crack a rock, if you go through all the effort of cracking a rock, you take one unit and you break it into two, you don't have to do it again. It's already broken and finished. You broke it, it'll stay broken forever. You take water and you split water. Water is something which is quite easy to split. You just take a cup and you just scoop out some water from another cup and that's it. It's, it's split. There's nothing to it. But to keep water separated, like if you put your hand in water and all of a sudden you have a right side and a left side, you take your hand out, everything just comes back into that one unit. And the message is that what that means essentially is that it's not that for Hashem it's hard. It's very easy. Hashem can make Shadduchim. That's not the hard part. But the same way Kriyas Yamsuf had the element of the splitting, and then there was that the waters stood on the right and the left. They remained separated. So too, every relationship, a person needs to internalize that getting married is the easiest part of marriage. Anybody could get married. It's, it's, people are always like waiting their whole life. When will I get married? When will I get married? Yeah, getting married seems like it's challenging, but in reality, that's the easiest part. The hardest part is maintaining that daily connection to that person. And just like Kaviyachal, Hashem had to keep those waters separated. And if he didn't, everyone would get flooded in the middle as they were passing through by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. A person has to understand in his own marriage that the natural state, like you were saying before, Menachem, that the natural state is that two people are not really meant to go together. And if you're, if you're not willing to put through the effort of making that bond a daily, like strengthening that bond, then it just, it's just going to naturally fall back. I had a couple that came to me a while ago, and there were so many severe issues in this relationship between addictions. The gamut of issues were here. And when this couple came in, they started talking. And the way I do it, I, I sit actually at this desk, and I take out a piece of paper, and I, I fold the paper in half, and I make a line in the middle. And basically, I have like, his side of the story, her side of the story, and then the bottom, which is the truth. You know, like that's my way of sort of keeping, you know, my own notes with what's going on. Usually couples come in and I'm able to see, okay, they have two main issues, three main issues. This was a couple that had maybe 20, 30 issues. We're talking real serious, deep rooted issues. And we sat down and the word divorce came up a lot of times. There was a lot of yelling and screaming and blaming. It was a very, very heavy session. And they left and they came back and it, it, it dawned on me something which I've been saying so often, but like I was able to put into a certain context. I want to share, with, share that with you today is that when it comes to relationships, if you think about it, most people who come to marriage counseling, maybe even you think about your own marriage when you have, you know, a person who's talking to their husband or their wife, what essentially are you saying when you're quetching, when you're communicating to them something that you don't like about them? trying to change them. This is what, you know, this is what everybody's trying to say. Can you do this different? Can you do that different? Or you're trying to tell them you're not doing a good job. You know, you're not as in tune to me as you should be. I don't feel understood. I don't feel prioritized. I don't feel respected. You're communicating some sort of emotion in the words that you're saying. And what dawned on me is that many people, I'll break it into like three categories, are focused on category two. They're skipping step number one. And step number one to me is a loving, caring bond between a couple. 
that's not tackling any heaviness, any heavy issues or anything like that. If a couple has a real kesher, a real bond where they feel loved and they feel prioritized and they feel respected and they put, they put their differences aside, not indefinitely, but for the moment. And then over time, they then segue into number two. They will find that they're actually able to have a real voice in their marriage. They're able to talk. They're able to say things. They're able to like actually tackle real heavy issues. And because they have a marriage to fall back on, the person usually will hear you because it will be said with real respect and you actually have what to be fighting for. A level three is already transformative. That's, we need therapy. We need inpatient. We need like something really serious. I find so many couples that are having level two and level three conversations, heavy conversations, conversations where they're trying to get their spouse to listen to them. And they're trying the same thing for 10, 20, 30 years, and it's just not working. And I, I, I told this couple specifically, I said, guys, this is not going to work. You're sitting here with so much built up negativity. And the way that I look at negativity is that when a couple has a separation, it's almost like somebody has a gash in their skin. When there's a gash in your skin, it's open for infection. When there's a gash in your marriage, when there's a gap between the couple, it opens up for resentment and, and people feel neglected. And there's just so much heaviness there that people are not really listening. They're not listening to you. But if you close that gap, if you actually have a closeness to the other person and you bring something up, your voice can be heard. Your conversations can go over well. You can see real transformation. And that's exactly what happened with this couple. And this, this model, I started using this with so many couples because I saw the, you know, how effective it was with this couple that walked in the door. They were like, this is our last, this is our last gasp. If this doesn't work, this is over. This family is just breaking apart. And today, Baruch Hashem, they're doing so well. They have a lot of issues that they needed to tackle, but they're tackling them together. They became a unit. They're growing together. And, and, and the thing that I want to focus on today is a very simple thing, is that I think a lot of people are, are taught from when they're younger that you have to be mavater and that we run away from having conversations which are uncomfortable to us. But if you think about what marriage is, it's a couple that's there looking out for each other's best interest, being able to have a real open and honest dialogue with your spouse about what's going on in a calm, respectful way is one of the greatest tools that most marriages do not have. And if you think about that, if you think about the ability of a wife to, to, to transform her husband, not change her husband, but transform her husband by transforming her relationship, you think about the ability of a father to give over to his son, who's 16, 17, 18 years old, the innate tools of what it means to be a man and a husband just by role modeling for him what it means to have a real serious conversation with that boy's mother, his wife. These are the greatest possible things that a person can instill in their children, in their family, and in themselves. And if a person doesn't have that voice, if that voice is not there because they were told just let things go and let things go, if you're a great tzaddik or tzaddikus and you're able to let things go, and it never comes back, and you're not resentful that you weren't able to be heard, then it's great for you. I'm so happy. But if you find yourself that every time you try to communicate something, it just doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't connect. The person you're talking to gets defensive, angry, they withdraw, they walk away, 
it's just not working for them, then I would implore you, go back to level one. Go back to taking the heavy stuff off the table and just build a relationship with them. Build a kesher with them. And then you'll find that your voice will be heard. They will allow you to talk and they will actually listen to you. And if you start putting these, these concepts into place, you see real transformation. You don't have to be suffering so much to see real transformation. I think the, the, the biggest thing to me is when I see couples that are not on the brink of divorce and they're not dealing with all the heavy, heavy stuff and they come and they say, hey, we're a great couple. We have no problems. Help us take things to the next level. And that's this, that's, those are the greatest couples in my mind. Those are people that want to take what they currently have and just increase it and elevate it. And how do you do that? The answer is, is that you're dialed into your spouse. You have a voice to be able to, to encourage them and build them up and be proud of them and have like a conversation with them as to like, you are, you are, I, I live for you. You live for me. We're building something, you know, in the long run. So that's it. I just want to share that one concept that living a marriage where you don't have a voice, where you're talking and you just, you know, you're just mavatar all the time or you're compromising all the time. To me, that's not like, you know, that, that's not the way to go. I'll just share with you that I once gave a speech somewhere. At the end of the speech, I spoke about the idea of having a voice in your relationship. And there were maybe 250 people there. And as soon as I finished, a whole bunch of people came running over to me to talk to me about their journey of marriage. And I made from that one speech, dozens and dozens of in-person sessions which I started sitting with couples and helping them navigate this, this, one, this one tool, this one idea. There was one person who stuck around for maybe an hour and a half after the speech. As I was walking out the door, this person standing in the back, I was walking by and they said, can I talk to you for a second? So I said, yeah, sure. And they said, you don't know my husband. And then they ran out. You don't know my husband. And I, 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 like, I, like, I don't grab her, but I was like, ah. And I ran after her and I said, I have to just tell you, I don't know your husband, but there was maybe 50 ladies that waited online over here to not take that attitude, to take the attitude that, yes, it, we're not in Shana Rishayin anymore. We're already more set in our ways. I think the biggest thing that people get wrong is they think that like Shana Rishayin couples are the couples that are struggling. I, ha- I hate to tell you, they're not. Shana Rishayin couples, it's kids play when they're struggling, usually. That you know, uh, burnt the kugel, and it's, it's a joke. It's like the you know, that's not the hard stuff. The hard stuff is when couples marry 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, and they have like really the humility to sit down and say, We need help, we need guidance, we need to know how to do things a little bit different. And of those couples that came and started learning the tools of how to have a real voice and talk respectfully and be able to have a real dialogue and be heard and finally feel that they were able to like be respected within the relationship, the amount of couples that were able to transform was just unbelievable. Okay, everyone, let's go to the polls and then we have questions and let's get into it. Okay, three question poll tonight. Here we go. Answer to the best of your ability. First question, in your opinion, which of these important elements is the most important in marriage? So from these four options, they're all important. Which one is the most important in your opinion? Communication, A, B, trust and respect, C, shared values and goals, or D, empathy and understanding. Second question, which of these elements negatively affect marriages most? You believe it's finances, 
B, in-laws slash family. C, work-life balance. Or D, not seeing eye to eye on issues. Third question. When you have something heavy to discuss with your spouse, how do you find these discuss- those discussions? Number one, as long as the conversation is pleasant, we're okay. If it gets heavy, one of us will struggle. B, we find those discussions difficult and oftentimes avoid them to maintain peace in the relationship. C, we approach these discussions with caution and try to find the right time and place to talk. Or D, we actively seek out discussions as opportunities for deepening our connection and resolving and resolving. Issues. Resolving issues. Yeah. It's a very long answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So everybody answer. We'll give you a few seconds over here and then we'll jump into the answers and we'll uh, get into the live. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Let me share the poll. Wait a few more seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. These are the results we're sharing with everybody. Okay, the first question. In your opinion, which of these elements is the most important in marriage? 34% of people say communication. The winning answer, 49% of the people say trust and respect. Only 6% of the people said shared values and goals. And only 12% of the people said empathy and understanding. Ruben, wow. you want to comment on that? Yeah, yeah, I want to comment on this. Um, I, I think that most people think that communication is, obviously not most people, second to most, but you know, communication is being ranked up there as being like one of the top marriage skills. I think that, you know, when it comes to marriage, if you think about marriage as Kesher, as like you're tuned into your spouse, most people I find they are very good at communicating. Doesn't mean communication is not always verbal communication. It can be, you know, somebody folding their arms or somebody looking down or somebody just being, you know, in a bad mood. So to me, communication, I find that most people actually communicate quite well. And whenever I have couples that come to me, I, I, I tell them as a rule, you cannot, you cannot say that your marriage problem is, is you have a lack of communication. You can't say that because I, I don't believe that. Everybody communicates. If your spouse turns to you and says to you, I, I, I can't stand you and I don't like you and I think I want to get divorced. You have great communication, but you don't have a very strong marriage. So communication is not, to me, is, is, is not really up there. I'm very surprised though on empathy and understanding, I have to say, because I find that most people, I think women maybe a little bit more than men, they actually really, really crave to feel understood. I think that drives people a little bit mad when they don't feel like 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 they're understood because what most people do is they package emotions and words. So they might be like, where were you? Or they might like say something which is trying to get you to, to grasp onto it. Like, oh, I wasn't here. I'm sorry you feel neglected. You, most people want to actually feel understood. I'll tell you just a, a short tip. If you're ever in a fight with your spouse, not that it should ever happen, but just, you know, remember this. If you If you say the negative feeling out loud, it usually will resolve the issue faster than you can imagine. 
What I mean to say is, if let's say a husband comes home late and the wife says, where were you, right? So she doesn't have a lack of communication. She's communicating. I feel like you weren't here and you're, I don't know where you are and I feel neglected, right? If the husband defends it, what do you mean? I was in the office. You don't care about me. So he's not understanding what she's saying. If he turns to her and says, wow, you, you must have really felt like I don't care about you. I'm so sorry. I really should have checked in with you. And, and, and oftentimes you don't even have to say the words, I'm sorry, or apologize. If you just identify what actually happened, usually your spouse would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you got it. Because what they're really looking for, they're craving understanding. And yeah, I, I, you know, we only got to choose one of them. But I think that it's, it's very, I think communication is overrated in terms of how much of an impact it has because people really do communicate. And I think that understanding is underrated in terms of the impact that it actually can have for a couple. Okay, let's go to the next one. Which of these elements negatively affect marriages the most? 17% of people say finances, 12% in-laws and family, 16% work-life balances, 55% not seeing eye-to-eye on issues. Yeah. Okay, so here, here I'm not surprised at all. Um, one thing I do want to throw out there, which I think is very important, is in-laws and family. Um, that's, that's, that number is probably percentage-wise, in my opinion, is probably higher. It's probably closer to like 25%, 30% of couples that have some sort of, I don't want to call it a shalom bias issue, but they have an issue with one person's you know, parents or in-laws. Um, but I'm, I'm very happy, actually, to see that most people understood that not seeing eye-to-eye is probably the most impactful side of things. But one thing I do want to point out on this is that if you think about struggles as being either an external struggle or an internal struggle, if you look at the, at the choices here, finances and then in-laws and then work-life balance and then not seeing eye-to-eye, it starts from the most external challenge and then it works its way to the most internal challenge. So finances is, is generally the most outside thing. And then it, it comes closer with family. And then it's the person within the relationship who's having a hard time being able to balance, you know, the priorities within their life. And then a person not feeling understood or not feeling that, you know, we don't see eye to eye on something. So I just want people to understand there's a huge difference between external and internal challenges. And a lot of times when couples come and they say, well, we're having an issue with X, let's say with my mother-in-law. I oftentimes tell them, well, f- let's first understand that your marriage is strong. If you allow something from the outside to come in, then it can, sh- it can weaken that bond. But if you understand that your, your mother-in-law is outside, if you leave her outside, you know, in terms of like the actual struggle, then you'll be able to usually have a very strong bond and a unified front in how you tackle this. And I think that that's the key. If you have a unified front in how you tackle an issue, then you can tackle that issue successfully. But if you allow that issue to come between the two of you, and the two of you can't agree how to deal with that issue, then that issue will then become an internal issue that you're not going to be able to see eye to eye on it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you want to be able to make sure that you're seeing eye to eye on the issues and saying, yeah, yeah, that's an external thing. You have a child who's struggling in school. How do we deal with this? Well, husband and wife have to sit down, get on the same page with this. Maybe they need to seek guidance. But now as long as they see eye to eye with it, that external struggle will remain external. Whereas if they don't do that, if they don't spend the time to then sit down and internalize like, hey, we need to come up with a mahalach, we need to come up with an approach that works for the two of us, that we agree on, both of us, then that external thing will become internal. It's a really important distinction there that a lot of couples don't master. Okay, the last question is, when you have something heavy to discuss with your spouse, how do you find those discussions? Very interesting split over here. So you have 19%, as long as the conversation is pleasant, we're okay. If it gets heavy, one of us will struggle. 26%, we find those discussions difficult and oftentimes avoid them to maintain peace in the relationship. 35%, we approach those discussions with caution and try to find the right time and place to talk. 
and 19% we actively seek out those discussions as opportunities for deepening our connection, resolving conflicts. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so like, much split, basically, give a give or take. Yeah. So I, I'll I'll just say this. I think that if you'd ask most women to to summarize their number one complaint in marriage, their number one complaint in marriage is that they feel the disconnect. Women, I, I think, have like a built-in, almost like a smoke alarm for disconnection. And the minute they feel a disconnection, they they like you know the smoke alarm goes off, and they usually communicate to their husbands, "Where were you? What were you doing? Can't believe you made this decision without me." They will usually sound the alarm on something being disconnected. That's usually how women's you know emotions are are built. Men's biggest complaints is please stop complaining. That's usually their complaint. It's you're just complaining too much. It's too heavy for me. I don't know how to how to deal with this. So I would say that probably the third one, in my opinion, is probably is probably the healthiest one, which is you know statistically here thirty five percent. That means if a person's at the first level where as long as it's pleasant, it's good, but you can't really bring things up. That marriage, I would encourage them to go along that pathway of being able to have deeper conversation. Because if not, then it's going to be problematic. And the same thing with number two, that couple, you know, I would encourage, you know, them to figure out how to do it in a way that's respectful and they're able to do it. That last person, the person who's actively going ahead and tackling these life altering, you know, things, those couples have to be very, very careful that the relationship doesn't get too heavy. If it gets too heavy and there's not enough of level one of you're just simply enjoying each other's company, you're not, I'll call it maybe this is a new a new age thing that you're not like your spouse's friend. You don't want to spend time with them. You don't want to go for a walk with them. If you're not feeling those feelings, if the feelings that you're feeling with your spouse is that like, yeah, we're somehow changing the world because we're having these really heavy heart-to-heart talks, but I don't really particularly like the person. Like I love them. I just don't like them. If that's what you're feeling, then that's that's not usually a very good sign. It's, it's important for that person or those people in, in the fourth category there that you're seeking out heavy conversation Make sure that those heavy conversations are are not overwhelming your relationship. And if if you're able to like have heavy conversations and really build, then ashracha, like you're doing, a, you know, a great job. I also will just end with one more thing that I wanted to say on these polls is that going back to the second question of which elements negatively affect marriage and which important elements is most important in marriage is that it's important to understand that every relationship is different. You know, not every marriage is the same. Not every marriage has that same balance. Not every couple goes to sleep at the same time. Not every couple has the same work-life balance. You know, everybody has their own, every relationship is unique, just like every puzzle piece is unique. The proverbial puzzle piece in marriage, that's what we're talking about over here. So if somebody is going and, and, and getting advice from somebody, you always have to apply it to your own relationship. And I think that's just a really important thing. So meaning if in your marriage communication is lacking, then for you, communication is a problem. Then you have to work on it. Don't worry about the fact that everybody else has a problem with something else. Every person has to know what what works for their marriage. And if your marriage is lacking in a specific area, then that's the part that I would just encourage somebody to focus on. Okay, again, anybody who's here now, you have Ruben Epstein here. Here wants to answer all your questions. Don't hold back. You can text Asher Parnas if you have any questions. Again, live questions go first. Ruben, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. Okay. First live question, you're on. Hello? Hello, hello? Hi, how are you? Do you hear me? 
Yeah. Okay. So here's my question. Um, so my husband and I, we, are, we don't have that level one, the unity and, and closeness, but we do have level two problems. I'll just use a very boring example. I think he drinks too much alcohol shops and then he falls asleep and I don't have his presence. Um, so I know that I need to first work on level one and build a relationship before I could come to him with this um, issue. But let's say I need to wait a few weeks or months until we have the close relationship so I can bring the issue to him. But in the meantime, he still keeps on drinking every Shabbos. And every time I get so angry and irritated and annoyed and it keeps on piling up. So where do I put that anger in the meantime so I can work on the relationship? Um, so we could... Yeah. So, we could have the level one, but get to the level two. In the meantime, the level two issues are still going on. Yeah, I I love your question. Your question is is exactly exactly the point that I'm bringing out over here. So I'm, I, I thank you very much for asking this question. The answer is is that let's take the bad approach. The bad approach is that you try to tackle something with somebody who you don't feel close with, who you feel resentment towards, who doesn't feel very close to you, and then you're saying to them, you're shaking them up, and you're saying to them. Don't don't you realize you're getting drunk every Shabbos? So you 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 have to stop because I can't stand it. Now, what's going through their mind? What's going through their mind is, I, I don't know if I really want to spend more time with you. I don't know if I if I really care enough to tackle my, I don't want to call it alcoholism. I don't know if I really want to tackle this. I'm getting a lot out of drinking. I'm, I'm escaping from the world. I work very hard all week. I have my social circles. I have my friends. And I'm not... I'm not justifying drinking on Shabbos. This is like across the board. It's a problem. But what I'm saying is, is that if you're trying to get your spouse to stop drinking, I would encourage you to take your anger, your resentment, all those negative feelings. And I'm not telling you to shove it under the rug. Adarabah, the exact opposite. I want those feelings to be addressed. But I could guarantee you that when you, when you come at your husband with a heaviness and you say, we really got to talk, He's thinking, who's we? Before we talk, who's we? Is there we? It, it, do me and you, do we spend time together? Do, do we have that light eeriness about our relationship together? Do, do we like each other? Do we date each other? It, dating is not just for couples that are dating. Do we have like a set weekly time that we spent real emotionally intimate time with each other? We're talking, we're sitting. Like, do we ever sit on the couch and maybe drink? a cup of wine you know what i'm saying like do we ever just like sit down and just schmooze with each other if if the marriage doesn't have that you're you're usually a person is usually banging on door that is just made out of steel the minute you can get your husband to turn to you and be like wow i love spending time with you i enjoy our conversation it's so much fun to be around you this is such an awesome home i would so much rather tune out from the week by tuning into my family then tune out from the week by escaping from the world. So you're exactly highlighting what the point that I'm getting to, which is you need to take your negative emotion and put them in a box and put that box in an elevator and send it up to the roof and come back in a month. But during that month, make sure you're throwing yourself into your marriage. Don't, don't bring up the drinking. Don't bring up the Shabbos. Accept who your husband is today because that will get him, Emir Tzashem, after an amazing month, a time where you're really spending with him on his own, there's a very good chance that he'll come home from shul or you'll pick him up from shul and he'll be like, wow. And I've heard this from someone. I can't believe I put you through that. Like they acknowledge that negativity. They say it on their own. You don't have to go, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to go 
and, and be the martyr who's throwing yourself at him and then again being disappointed. Level one is what allows your marriage to be strong. If you have Kesher, if you have something strong, your spouse usually will listen to you. And I have news for you. You will come across as being loving and caring and somebody who actually wants to spend time with your spouse. And then it's reciprocal. But if that element is not there, then that level two conversation, you could try. I see couples try for decades. They're trying and trying and trying. And I say, keep trying. It's not working. Don't you realize it's not working? First, build your marriage. Put in a serious effort into your marriage and then put this on the side. I guarantee you, you'll be able to have that conversation. And that conversation will go over much better than it has for the last 10 years. You're not allowing, you're not like enabling somebody to drink. He's going to drink anyways. And he's been doing this for however long he's been doing this for. The greatest thing you can do is switch your mindset to that acceptance and that love and that real respect for who he is. And then I, I can't guarantee anything, but your money back from this program for sure. <laughs> okay, okay, let's go to the next live question. Okay, you're on. Hi, Rabbi Epstein. Thank you for coming up on the show with us again. Um, sure. So this is more of a dating before marriage question. Um, it's just something, you know, as a buffer that's dating, it's just a bit daunting. You know, I've seen a lot of my friends, um, a lot of them that are married already, and a few of them are already divorced. Some of them are separated. Um, it just, it, get, it makes me feel a bit of like this daunting feeling that like anytime I go out, it's like this, I have this feeling that like I'm just taking a risk. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, your session, we should have a good marriage. It's always excitement, but it's always like this logistical feeling of risk that could uh, take place. So obviously we have to live life and trust in Hashem. But obviously I just want to know, like, what is the, as someone who's still in the process, what could we work on ourselves more to ensure that we have a better relationship? What is the key thing that maybe is being missed out, is being forgotten, um, that people are not equipped with before they get married? Great question. Great question. Okay, so I'll tell you a few things. Number one is, if you ask most people, and I, I would hope this to be the case, and if this is not the case, then it should be the case, um, most people who get engaged, if you go over to them by their lechayim or their vart, and it could be it's different in certain circles where they do things much, much quicker. But I'm talking about like in, in our circles where you're dating and you're going through the process of going out X amount of times, maybe seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve times, whatever it is. If you ask most people by the lechayim, you know, how do you know this was the one? Most people, most people say it's, it's not even a question. I, ju I just know. Like we started along this journey of discovering each other and who we want, who we are, what our goals are, emotional, emotional compatibility, personalities. Like they, they've gone through that, you know, cycle. And when they go down the aisle, most couples, most couples are walking down willingly and nobody has to tranquilize them and schlep them down the aisle and tell them, you know, don't worry, it'll work itself out. That, that's not most couples. Most couples go down the aisle with, you know, an awareness of like things, could be good and should be good. And statistically, if you think about it, divorce rates are actually pretty low. Now, it, obviously it's rising and it's always bad. And every single couple that, you know, that gets divorced is obviously very, very bad. But if you think about in the bigger picture, negativity rises to the top and your chances of having a successful marriage with the model that we have, us, like people who are like shidduch dating and researching and all of that is, is actually probably statistically the highest you know, of any model that you can possibly think about in terms of dating. So we have it figured out to the point where you're doing your research, 
you're finding out all the long-term things about the person, and then you're dating them and finding out all the short-term stuff that your personalities click and, and, and all of that stuff. What I would encourage you to, to realize is that although things seem, you know, and I'm the guy who has like that front, I would say like, I'm the guy like sitting like the box seats, not at Adiri Atayra, but at, you know, at like watching all these problems come in the door one after the next, after the next. And yet at the same time, I have a very positive outlook on the state of affairs in Kali Israel, because it is true that there are a lot of things which are not necessarily, let's call them good. They're not good. But the amount of tools that you have at your disposal today over whatever existed is, is, is amazing. And I'll use this program as an example, right? You have the ability to sit down and, and learn a three-hour course on how to date, how to date successfully. And if you're asking for one specific thing that I think you should focus on, I would encourage you to think about the idea of being emotionally healthy, emotionally healthy, meaning the ability to challenge, to be challenged to allow somebody else into your world, to be open, that you don't feel like on a daily basis that you're on a roller coaster, that you feel emotionally stable and ready to give over to somebody else. If, if you find that you're a stable person who's able to like be man enough, I'll call it, you have the gavra inside of you. You're man enough to be able to be challenged when somebody challenges you, throws something at you, throws a curveball at you, says, I can't believe you did that. And you're just like, you're good. Your emotions generally don't peak very, very high and they don't dip very, very low. If they're generally in a healthy balance, then you have a very, very good chance, obviously with a lot of Siata Dishmaya, of having a very successful marriage. A lot of, there's a lot of reasons why divorces happen and why divorce rates may be rising slightly, whatever the case may be. But if you want to know what you can do, just because your friends are maybe having issues, the amount of resources that there are available, if you tap into those resources, if you have a vision, maybe a role model, maybe your parents, maybe a Rebbe, maybe a sibling who, like you say, I want that, and I'm going to look at those elements and understand those elements. If you are able to incorporate that before you get married, and you're able to articulate that and verbalize it to a girl on a date, then you have a really great chance of being able to, to walk down the aisle. I'll just share with you very quickly that I, I taught for a few years in Rabbi Zachary Wallenstein's seminaries. And I always would tell the girls that when the guy gets down on one knee or he jumps out of an airplane and he's ready to propose to you, you better ask him the question, what does proposal mean to you? What does it mean to propose? Like, what are you asking me to do? Or get married. Okay, what is marriage? Like, what does it look like? And I tell, I tell the girls, the guy needs to articulate to you what, it, what a marriage looks like. And to me, what that marriage looks like is a journey of two people walking side by side, one foot next to the other, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, through this journey called life. You're going to, like we saw, said in the beginning, you're going you're gonna to see eye to eye with each other. You're going to have conversations with each other. You're going to have bittle. You're going to hear the other person and be like, wow, I really hear you. You're going to be challenged. You're going to say, wow, I really appreciate that perspective. You're going to believe in the other person. They're going to believe in you. If you're able to articulate these concepts, then you're able to incorporate these concepts. If you don't even know what you're articulating, you don't even know what you're saying, then how could you possibly be successful? So I, I, I would just encourage you, take the time now to study marriage a little bit and just look at yourself and realize if your relationships are generally healthy, if your confidence is generally healthy, if you have those elements there, you have a very, very high chance of being successful within your, within your marriage. If you feel that something needs guidance or needs to be you know, tackled, then by all means, we have more resources today than we probably ever had 
in terms of being able to tackle issues. Wow, Yishikach. Thank you so much. Good for everyone. Okay, next live question. You're on. Hi. Hi, how are you? Hi. What you just said was brilliant. Thank you so much. And I'm going to go into that with a question. Um, if a man is emotionally disconnected from his abusive childhood, what can help him even understand what emotions are? Because like you say, that's the the most important in marriage because everything else could be learned. I think emotions, it's hard to learn it. How could a man learn that? If he had an emotionally abusive, if I understand the question, if somebody had an emotionally abusive past, then how can they, mm-hmm. how can, okay, that, that's, that's a very, very um, powerful question. So I would tell you, I'm going to incorporate a couple of things over here. Number one is when we talk about that level one, make sure that that level one is there. Because if your spouse is going to go through a transformation, which is essentially what this is, your spouse needs to know that they have somebody who has their back as opposed to somebody who's attacking them for who they are. Meaning, if you think about it, a a person who went through abuse, they're a victim. Let's call them a victim. They didn't bring this on themselves, right? They went through this and our hearts bleed for what they've gone through. Wherever they were able to pull themselves up in life, we need we need to stand up and 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 clap for the, where this person was and where they were able to bring themselves to, so that real acceptance of who the, of who your spouse is, that should like fill you up in your bones with real respect for who your for who your husband is. Then taking can that, I interrupt with that? Yeah, of course. Okay, so that abuse actually came into the marriage. It was the same marriage for us, like extremely abusive. So mm-hmm. it was a narcissistic marriage. And Baruch Hashem, remaining in the marriage, we Baruch Hashem worked through a lot of that narcissism. And our Kesher, our connection, is based on all that pain, all that hell that we went through together with this. And for me, finding a voice again, um, that's the Kesher. I feel like there's there's a lot of connection, which is, which is so interesting, because daily, I don't feel like there's like this romantic kind of dating relationship, but there's that connection. I want an internal safe, easy, like, like, I want to feel the internal emotional connection. Wow. So wow. the external we do have. Yeah. The, what, the, can I ask you a question? And your husband, yes. is he, does he want that as well? Yes, sure. So Ashrecha, <laughs> like you're, you're the luckiest woman in the world. I want to tell you something. I, I had a very similar email that I got a number of years ago from somebody who said to me a very similar story along these lines. And the person said, I, I realize that I was a horrible spouse. I, I know it. Like looking back now that like I've been exposed to what a good marriage is and, and I feel terrible about it. I want to come and, and receive the tools for what it means to like actually change. And all these years later, there's marriage completely transformed. So you are a very lucky person that you, that you have somebody who's, who, who recognizes and who's willing to go along this journey. And now you need a professional who's able to guide you along whatever whatever's going to happen now. So whether it's a therapist or whether it's a rub or somebody who's able to sit with you on, on a consistent basis and bring these skills into your relationship, you're 100% right in saying that, um, that emotions is hard to learn. It is very hard to learn. There's no question about that. And it's something which, which takes a certain fortitude to be able to like realize that you're going to fall a million times 
when you're trying to learn how to and how to in a healthy way connect to other people. But at the same time, if your spouse is along this journey with you, then then you are a very very lucky person to have the the emotional awareness between you and your husband that there's room for growth. And if you're both able to adopt somebody who you're able to see in person to be able to allow you to understand what it means to develop this, then you know, Ashrechem, like I would, I would ask you to please email me because I want to send you some material, which I think will help you get started on this journey. But there's no question that you have, you're at, I don't know if I could use this muscle, you're at the, the beginning of the um, yellow brick road. Yeah. Wizard of Oz, we could say that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're at, you're at the first, you're at the first, um, you're at the first, you know, stepping stones of the yellow brick road that if you follow this journey, you you should be able to really build something so strong because the the awareness is there, you know what I'm saying? The awareness is there. So yeah, I would just say that you guys are very very you know lucky to be able to like both say we need help, we need a professional to be able to guide us along this this ride. But once you once you get started, there's nothing as great as a good marriage. There's nothing as great. The Gemara talks about it, right? When it's bad, it's gaygu magay. When it's good, there's nothing as good as that. So when you start to taste it and you start to feel it, most people become addicted to that. You know what I'm saying? They want to like actually get more. They want to taste more. They want to feel the depths of that more. So I would just say Ashrecha, and it's people like you that really inspire me because they've been through so much. They know they have somewhere to go, but they're able to like visualize it. Maybe not 100%, but if your husband is on board, you're very, very lucky. Very lucky. Beautiful, Ruben. Okay. Thank you. You're on, you're on next. Okay, thank you so much. I totally get that you need to have a level one in order first. But if one the one has a spouse that has a personality disorder, and there's no way he can ever have a level one, then what what advice do you have? That's that's hard. So if somebody has a true personality disorder, and I don't mean somebody who I hear people diagnosing people in my office every day. And I tell people, I'm, I'm not a mental health professional. So just for my sake, you're going to have to not diagnose the person. You know what I mean? I hear everybody use, do, use certain words, which in many contexts really are personality disorder, but they'll use it. My spouse is OCD. My spouse is narcissistic, um, which these are real diagnoses, which take a real professional. But if a person really has an inability to connect to somebody else, then they need real guidance, meaning you need a therapist who's going to sit with you and explain to you your role within the context of this relationship. I, I want to use your, your question as a springboard to bringing awareness about something, which is therapy is, is vitally important to the world and, and people's mental health and emotional health and, and homes have been completely transformed by therapy. But anyone who's stepping into therapy, I believe, needs to understand that a therapist, if they're dealing with a patient, their focus oftentimes will be on that patient. And it oftentimes will not extend to the family members who are affected by the actions of that patient. So if somebody has OCD, for example, right, and the therapist is dealing with their OCD, you have a, a spouse who's like behind the curtain who's like, well, what is my role here? Do I give in to their OCD? Do I not give in to it? They're insisting on certain things. Do I go with it? Do I not go with it? The, the impact that that diagnosis has on the couple is, I would say, I don't want to say, I don't want to equate it, but it's vitally important that the spouse understands what their role 
within the bigger diagnosis is. So if somebody has a legitimate personality disorder, then obviously you need guidance from somebody who's qualified to speak about that. Not me, but whoever it is that that's going to be guiding, let's call it the patient, needs to also extend that, I don't want to call it treatment, but maybe the guidance to you as a spouse as well, to be able to tell you, and therefore, you know, here's what you should know. And I would, I would encourage you to like push for like real guidance. Cause what I find a lot of times in the world of mental health is they will often say, well, what do you think about that? Or what do you feel about that? But sometimes you need real guidance. You know, if your spouse has, has a, has a, a disorder, which borders on whether it's like extreme violence or whatever it is there, you need to have the guidance of somebody who's going to be able to put, put their foot down and give you real clarity with what needs to be had. Thank you. Okay, everybody. Next, you ready for the next live question? Mm-hmm. Okay, you're on. Hi, I wanted to know if Rabbi Epstein could maybe cover or share some tips on how to deal with um, infidelity. Yeah. So, um, Rabbi, we got a few emails on this. Let me just read one of the emails. Is that okay? Yeah, 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 sure. Um, give me one second. Let me send another email. Um, what's Rabbi Epstein's experience in infidelity? Um, you have the courage to discuss it. It's a real problem that happens in our communities. Unfortunately, keeping our heads in the sand doesn't help, especially as a pained woman who has been betrayed, and only and they're, they're only being told to ditch their phones. Men are allowed to have the phones for panasa. A woman should be more sneezedic. I'm basically I'm going to on a trajectory to help. To be helping to get physic, but there's a lot of women that have been hurt like this. Any advice would be helpful. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, this is something which crosses my desk way too often. Um, I, I have to say, you know, that Coach Menachem, like Ashrechem, that you guys are tackling really anything you know, that comes up, including this, this is, you know, it's unfortunately something which has seeped into, you know, our community in a very, what we say, it's, it's a real thing. It's not something which we could just say is not there. Um, I look at my role when this comes up as, and I'll only speak to my role because I think that there's a bigger picture here. First of all, a lot of people who go through this, and I think that that email really summarized this idea. Um, there's a lot of guilt as if the party who's now, you know, the victim here, as if they did something wrong or they weren't enough or they did something, you know, they said something which sort of chased their spouse out of the relationship. And that has to be recognized that that's very much not the case. Um, every case of infidelity, you know, has its own dynamics. So I don't think that there's a one size fits all. Um, sometimes it's based on addictions and sometimes it's based on other things as well. There's also a process of usually of how infidelity plays itself out, which is unique to every couple. So there's no one size, you know, fits all. But I think that it's important that a person doesn't, you know, blame themselves or feel that, hey, you know, I did something wrong, which caused us. That's absolutely never the case, almost never the case. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of major decisions that have to be made over there in terms of, you know, staying together in the long run. Um, if the person needs help for, you know, sexual addiction, seeking somebody out who's able to help guide them along that. All, oftentimes what I find is that um, the person who's the the spouse who's left behind, let's call it, 
they oftentimes have to make, they, they don't want to have to make a decision now for the next hundred years because there's a lot of information that's being uncovered as time is going on. So they oftentimes feel, do I have to say yes, that I'm staying in the marriage now? Or can I say I'm staying in the marriage for now? And then we'll figure things out in a week, in a month, or as time goes on. And is there a, weir- a real willingness to change? So there's so many dynamics in each individual couple that has to be you know, brought to the forefront. Um, so it's hard to give like any, any blanket rules. But I will say that this is a real problem. And you know, over the years, I've dealt with this too many times to count. And even one time is something that we should not have to deal with. But you know, along those lines, those couples, I have to say, I've seen couples that have gone through, you know, I don't, even one time is is, is a lot, but I would call it severe infidelity um, that have come back to become very, very strong couples and really, you know, break themselves down to understanding why they did what they did, what triggered them or what caused them or, you know, what they have to work through. And I've, I've, I've seen and worked with, you know, some of the strongest people in the world, I think, because somebody who who has an issue and is able to admit to the issue and admit where they went wrong and really like break themselves down to like saying, I really need help. And a wife or a husband who's able to support that person and, and, and go through the process of real forgiveness. This is like, we're standing amongst giants, in my opinion, you know, even though we never want to think that like, you know, somebody who falls like all of a sudden, but what does the Gemara say? Right. What was his name? Coach Menachem, what was his name? Yehuda uh, Ben Dudai, what was his name? Um, right where he where he was an addict. Let's call it what it was. He was an addict. And once he went through the process of recognizing that he was an addict, I have a problem. He tried blaming this. He tried blaming that. He tried saying it's my it's my teva, it's my upbringing, it's my friends, it's my family. And then at the end, what does he say? Ain hadavar tali It's me. I have a problem. When somebody has the ability to say those words, I have a problem, right? What does the Bosco come out and say? He goes straight to Ganeda and he's able to like accomplish something, a certain amount of bittel and achna that I think most mortal people can't even fathom the depths of being able to like have that real openness. So your question is such an important question because there are people who are struggling in the shadows and every case is really unique and different and there's no one set rule for that but i would really really hope that the person who's going through this and i know we got a, a number of emails on this that the person's going through this has real support i don't mean like yentas who are just want to hear like you know the, the 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 juice they just want to hear what's going on behind the scenes real support people are able to encourage you and not push you to make any rash decisions and not you know hold things over your head like if you do this it's going to hurt your children like your emotions that you go through with that is 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 I don't think it's even on the charts anymore. You know what I mean? It goes so high and so low. So for a person to be able to like understand that you have serious decisions now to make for the rest of your life, including the including the impact on yourself, on your spouse, on your family, making sure that this doesn't happen again in whatever way you're able to control that, really going through a therapeutic process um, is is a real process. It's something that has to be addressed because it's real and it's out there. But when that happens, you know, I think people need to have somebody in their life who's really able to guide them from beginning to end to really go through. Because when it, when a person discovers this, you know, it's it, it feels like the world is caving in. So to be able to get yourself from that point to a point where you're stable and you're not feeling like the world is just falling down on you, I think that you know it, it's just really important that a person has that support that support team around them. Can I 
ask Rabbi Epstein, um, how, how would one go about finding that support? Um, you reach out to people who are in the field, either in the field of Rabbanas, in the field of mental health, and you say, I need somebody in my area that I can talk to who can guide me um, and who can give me the time on a consistent basis. This is not a one-time meeting. This is something that you need on an ongoing basis that you're able to like talk it through, not be pressured into making any crazy decisions or fast decisions. Um, and then when you connect with that person, they will help you along the journey that you're, that you're going through. Here. Thank you. All right. Okay, Ruben Murdit. You ready for another one? You can handle it. You can handle more? Let's go. Let's go. I got I got iced tea here, and as long as the bottle doesn't run out, I'm okay. Okay. Okay, you're next. Um, me? Yep. Okay. So first of all, thank you very much. I think basically you're saying my life story as you answer each question. Um so I understand you need to have a level one, but what if um my husband has a lot of issues and I accept him for who he is and just he can't accept himself for who he is because and then he can't believe that somebody actually can love him and care for him. And um, it took me many, many years to realize this. And I tried level one for many years. I married over 20 years and. Um, but he can't accept himself. For who he is. Yeah. Would would you say that your husband has like a very low self-esteem? My husband has a low self-esteem. My husband is an addict. My husband has um social anxiety. My husband um has a lot of issues, unfortunately. And I'm like, okay, a lot of people have issues, but like accept it. And once you can accept it, you can then take care of it. But his ego is so high that he can't accept that he is actually like that. Right. Or his ego is so low. No, his ego is very high. It, uh-huh. it, I know I know because, let's say, I'm at a point, I have a daughter in Shadokha, which is not helping the situation either, because anybody I speak to tells me, you can't do anything now because your daughter's never going to get married, which I'm at a point that she's going to get married because God's going to send her Shadokha, doesn't matter where we are. Um, right. But he gets insulted at Shaduchim that I read to us. And I told him, I said, you think the public doesn't know anything. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. God knows that we have issues. We're right. not going to, she's not going to get, you know, she's not going to marry Rosh Hashiva's son. It's not happening. So we have to think about what it is and, and, and figure it out. And we can't, you can't just, whatever, he, he, he has both ways. Like, he can't believe anybody will marry her, and he can't believe that we get red touch shaduchim. But I'm just giving the shaduchim as an issue, uh, an example. There's a lot worse issues in this house. I mean, we never had level one ever, um, right? Um, and I know that. Um, and I, when I realized that, I tried it, but there's nothing. I don't have what to work with at this point. Right. So, so let let me just say like this: there's no there's no short answer to this. This is a much longer conversation, which I'm, yeah. I'm more than happy to have with you offline, but I, I just want to use your, your question as a springboard to, to highlighting something, which is that a lot of times within the context of addictions 
and really think about this in terms of most mental health crises or interventions, they are there essentially to remove the bad. And when you remove the bad, then you, you're left with the good. So if somebody has an addiction, you remove the addiction and you're good. Somebody has anger, you remove the anger and they're good, right? In, in most things in life, it's like that. Uh, they have a personality disorder, you remove the disorder, they're good, right? Compulsions, remove the compulsion and they're good. When it comes to marriage, it's really not about what you take out and what you, what you don't put in. It's really more about what you do put in and what, you, what you're building. It, it sounds to me like your spouse needs somebody who specializes not just in the addiction side of things, but also building him up as an individual, which I've seen many great therapists be able to do. Correct. To be able to, be able to like build, to build them up, so, to be able to handle, let me just finish here, just to, yeah. to be able to handle a wife or a criticism or something in, in, in a level-headed way that's balanced. So again, there's, there's no hard and fast rule. I, I think really this is a conversation that should happen offline, but I would just say that, that the person who's going to tackle this is not, would be wise not to just take out the addiction and say, well, we have somebody who has an addiction or a trauma. It's more about building the person so that he's there as a spouse for you so that he can, like what comes before level one, the answer is, is that you have a person. And that person has to be a healthy person. It's very hard to have a level one with a person who's not a person. So if a person is struggling so mightily, then they would be very wise to find somebody who's able to build them to be a person who's able to give and able to receive and able to go for a walk and understand your needs and understand his emotions. They have to go through the basic of being an individual. Then they can be, then they could be a spouse. Does that make sense? It makes a hundred percent sense. But the problem is, is that I'm married for 22 plus years and I'm in this marriage and I'm at this point that for a while I've been saying like, how long do I hold on until he becomes a person? Well, the answer is two things, depending on the severity of how you perceive it, meaning if if it's too severe. And the question number two is how much is there a willingness for the person to change? So if there is a willingness- Willingness is not enough. Willingness is not enough anymore. Mm -hmm. He wants to be better, but- he wants to be better. He doesn't want to do the work to get better. Mm-hmm. When it's... sort of everything in life came, quote unquote, easy for him because he coasted through life the way he wanted it. Not really the way he wanted it, the way it was. He never worked for anything. And maybe that's why he doesn't feel he has to, but he doesn't realize that if he did do. I said life is hard either way. Either you don't do the work and you're miserable or you do do the work and you're happy. Right. But he doesn't feel that way. Right, but he also may need, may need a motivator outside of the of the marriage to help him along this journey. You know what I'm saying? Might be like a rub or somebody who's able to like help him along those those you know along that path. I'm happy to talk to you longer. I think we should we should connect like offline. Um, you could email me email at marriagepro.co, um, and I'm happy to 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 schmooze this through with you. Because it's important. I just have to say this also. It's important if if a spouse is going through something let's call it a journey of whatever you want to call it, self-discovery, therapy, transformation. It's important that they have their spouse waiting for them at the other end. And that's also why level one is so important because if the spouse is not going to be waiting for them at the other end, they're going to be a great husband to the next wife. You know what I'm saying? You have to make sure that the wife is there, that the wife is, is saying, yeah, I'm in this. I support, I support you as long as I see that you're actually growing and changing and putting in the effort on your side. So I would just throw that out there is that, as a general rule, not for you specifically, as a general rule, 
level one is important to see the transformation, but also more importantly, that when the transformation is done, that there's a person waiting on the other end to receive them when they come home. I just think that that's just a really important point that we can't overlook. Hey, Murray, we're ruined. Okay, next live question. You're on. Hi, thank you for the program. Thank you for everything. Um, you partly answered my question a little bit because you said that a uh, person first needs uh, self-awareness and that before, before you go to level one. And that's what my question was really. When do you know um, if a spouse first needs one-on-one therapy or uh, we can do marriage counseling because they don't have a lot of self-awareness and they have no idea why they do certain things. And as, mu- as many times as you know, we speak about the things that are not okay, um, he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just goes right back to that behavior because he has no idea how hurtful or how, you know, not okay they are. So is, is there a thing that, that marriage therapy can resolve that? Or if I know that he did go through a difficult, very difficult childhood, can I request he do personal one-on-one therapy? It's a great question. The short answer is that you, I mean, you could always request it. And if the person is willing to do it, then then for sure. Um, I believe I believe that marriage is the greatest self-development course. That means that, you know, anybody who's married more than a minute knows that your spouse will challenge you and your spouse will say, why did you think that? Or why did you do that? And that makes your mind start to introspect like, yeah, why, why did I do that? Or what was I thinking there? Was I trying to impress that person that I made that comment? Like it makes your mind race in a healthy way in ways that you never, you know, you never had to do before. And I think that that's actually part of the healthiness of marriage, that there's, there's two people that are actually going, going at it. Like they're saying, no, I'm not going to let you live a basic life where you just cruise through life. I'm going to challenge you. And why did you think that? And why did you do that? And I think that's actually part of the beauty of marriage. So if you're finding that the marriage therapy, which is, which is a, which is a word that has to be defined a little bit more, the word marriage therapy. But assuming you're going through effective marriage therapy and your spouse is gaining the self-awareness through the marriage, then you're, you're, you're getting two birds with one stone. If it's not connecting, like the previous caller sounded like, it wasn't connecting because the spouse is not even there. They're not, they're, they, they have no awareness. You, you know, like they're, they're just not able to connect at all. Then you have to first start by getting the person to the starting line. As long as the person's on the first steps of the yellow brick road, then you could you could get all the way to the castle. If if the person's not even on the, they don't even know they don't know what's going on. They yeah. they have addictions. They're blaming everybody. You can't talk to them. You can't even get the couple to sit down in the same room at the same time. The, then they're not even at the starting line yet. Then it starts with the individual stuff before that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I'm actually not in marriage therapy. I'm in my own therapy, and because of the marriage, going through a lot and. So, so that, that's what I wanted to know. If marriage counseling can tackle the fact that the, the spouse is not self-aware in any area. So I like it, can tackle that. That's what I yeah, want to know. Very often. But, but this is, let me go back to one point here, is that the word marriage therapy is a very broad term. So if, if marriage therapy is focused on conflict resolution versus what's being put into the marriage and that awareness and the understanding and the building and understanding of respect within the context of the marriage. So if it's focused on the right things, then yes, it will it will kill two birds with one stone. But if it's not, and it's just focused on conflict resolution. So if, if you sit down with your husband by a marriage counselor and he says, what did you say, Shandy? And you go, 
oh, uh, I told him that he came home late. And what did you say? Okay, so you you say it like this and you say it like that. If like that's your whole session that you're focused on communication, you know, how to how to have a good fight or how to not fight, they're not really telling you like the underpinnings of what's going on, then that that's going to be very minimally effective. You're going to have to have separate therapy for the person to learn about the self-awareness and the skills. And between me and you, this stuff really should be covered in lesson classes, not even in therapy, which is just like basic stuff that has to be, you know, drilled into people's bones. But if if the therapist is effective enough to be able to understand the underpinnings of marriage, they're able to communicate that effectively, then you will you will you will get both of those in one session. Thank you so much. So basically, I have to find a therapist that can go to the deeper issues and the deeper core more than just the communication part of the marriage. Exactly. And 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 communicate them effectively so that your spouse comes out and says, oh, wow, I get it. And I understand it. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if you're not if the, if the person comes out and you say, wow, we learned how to have a good fight together, that that's nothing. I, I, I highlighted this before when we spoke about in the poll is that people generally feel. I think that they, if they don't feel understood, if you don't feel understood with what's going on, if your spouse cannot turn to you and say, oh, I'm so sorry I made you feel this way, or I realize I made you feel this way. I realize I made you feel this way. That For some people, those words are like the greatest words they could possibly hear because they're actually hearing somebody talk their language. Oh, wow, you realize that you did this? I've been screaming from the rooftops for 25 years. You finally realize that that tool that somebody gives your spouse will be the greatest matana that they could give him, the greatest gift. So you want to make sure that that tool is being given over as opposed to somebody who's just teaching him how to talk nicely and say nice words to you and you say nice words to him. That's not going to get you what you really want. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Rabbi Epstein, I just want to intervene a second. The couples that walk through your office, mm-hmm. I'm wondering how often does it happen that you see that it's they need something before level one? That is- Yeah. The triggers that bring, you know, the, the, the triggers that they have um, based on what they grew up with or, and you can't even go to level one before they need, you know, somebody to build them up to understand what's bothering them, what's. Um... Yeah, um, I don't know percentage wise, but there's, there certainly is a percentage, I would say it's probably under 10%, but it's definitely there um, that they need. You, you can't, they're not in the context of marriage. They don't have the issue. If they were, if they were still living in the Irv in, you know, BMG's dormitory and they were a 46 year old guy who never got married, they would have the same issues because they just, they have an addiction and, and they're just not aware of what's going on and they're just self-destructing. So it happens to be that they're married with 14 children. So it's affecting those people also, but they're not even holding there of working through the marriage. They first, they're, as a person, they're not a person. I always say that, you know, the Pasuk says, that before you are a Davak, before you connect to your spouse, you're, you're a product of your mother and father who give you emotional tools. So if, if those tools got lost in the mix somewhere, for whatever reason, whether it was a person's fault, not their fault, addiction, abuse, whatever the case may be, then it's going to prevent level two, which is Davak. Then, then you're going to have a hard time connecting to your spouse. So then we got to work on those level. It, I would call it almost like like a ground zero level. Like there's no level. It, you know, in Hebrew, they would say like komakarka. This is the ground floor, right? We got to work on the ground floor before we could go up to the first floor. So there's definitely a percentage. I would argue that it's not a very high percentage, but usually, I mean, 
yeah, if a person tackles that, they get it. But that, that, that previous caller who was saying that, you know, can you get it within the context of marriage, meaning that the marriage um, counseling is going to give them both skills, I find that that's often the, oftentimes the case. I mean, the person's not as aware or in tune or understanding of what they're really giving their spouse or not giving their spouse or what they're doing. And then as they go through the marriage therapy, quote unquote, meaning when they're learning about what's going on in the marriage, they go, oh my goodness, I've been doing this my whole life. You know, I, I've been always avoiding, I've been avoiding my mother and my father. And, you know, like they, they understand what's going on. So if a person's willing to sit and listen and understand, you see amazing transformation, even on that ground floor stuff. But if they're not, then we have to say, let's not tackle the marriage because it's not going to work. The person's not even, they're not even in the game. You know what I'm saying? They, they don't have sneakers on and they're on the field. We got to take them back to the locker room and first, you know, lace them up and then we could send them back out. Yeah. Okay, Ruben, let's go. Next live question. You're on. Hi. Um, yeah, I think you kind of already <laughs> answered a lot. With that. I, that I was sort of thinking of the whole idea that the, besides personality disorder, you may have a sort of a kissing cousin to this as somebody with a cognitive deficit. You know, like it goes beyond a lack of self-awareness. I mean, maybe there can be deficits in social skills or something, but I, I've seen this over and over. I've seen you know, other Lulu's people where I wondered, you know, how, you know, like what are they thinking? Are they, you know, do you, I mean, I don't know how do you, how you deal with that. Does that require more than a a therapist? Maybe they do. They need some kind of remediation. I, you know, yeah. Let me let me see if I understand your question correctly. If somebody has, let's call it like social skills, maybe social yeah. anxiety. Yeah, cognitive deficits. You know, like you know, this really. It's not. It's not even lack of empathy. Like they really uh, misunderstand. They 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 don't get it or something. Their 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 thinking is out. Yeah, you, know, you know, left field, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, mean, I don't know if they should even get married, so to speak. But sounds like it's not like Asperger's. Yeah, yeah. The, the, some of the people earlier were talking about that. Sometimes I feel like it's a. A core issue. There's something related, by the way. I was going to just say, you know, I was surprised when we took the, the survey that goals and values seem to score very little. I, I shouldn't that even really be the fundamental of the foundation of the Jewish marriage? Yeah. You don't know why you're getting married or what you want to both want. I, I mean, I think that's even tied in with this sort of, you know, a lack of sacral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, shouldn't there be something to work with in the very beginning? Yeah, so I, I'll just, I'll, I think you're asking two questions here. I'll address them one yeah, at a time. Yeah. I'll address your second one first, which is, you know, goals. What I think what happens in most of our, you know, marriages is that because people tend to do enough research beforehand to determine that the general direction of life is is in realm then they figure out all the pivots that they have to make within the journey of their relationship. So if a couple says, listen, the basics are that, you know, we're, we're both this religious and we both basically want this and that. So by the time they get married, it's, it's, it's more uncommon that they discover that long-term incompatibilities exist than in the secular world where they're dating more just like based on looks or, or opportunity. And then it's only after marriage that they start discussing the long-term goals. So since we tackle those earlier, we generally don't have, yeah. I find we don't have very, we don't have very many people who say, you know, I want to save the, save the whale and I want to hunt the whale. 
you know, I want to cut down trees and I want to save the trees. We don't find that as much because the general, as long as your general picture is somewhat, you know, congruent one with the next, you're able to pivot along the journey of life. The Mm -hmm. second part, which is really your first question, is people who do have severe, you know, cognitive or let's call it social, whether it's anxieties or abnormalities. Yeah, those people oftentimes do need to have you know, some sort of real professional guidance as to developing those skills. So I'm I'm not a clinician in any way, shape or form to be able to diagnose anybody or deal with somebody who has, you know, anything that's really Asperger's or anything like that on the spectrum. But there are people who are very skilled at being able to give over to, other, to people like that real, you know, communication skills. And I, I've seen couples that were, you know, in many ways, you might call them on the spectrum or special, you know, needs in terms of these things that have great relationships. They're able to relate to, to each other in their own way. And usually because there's a dating process and a vetting process, the person who went out with them sort of knows this. You know what I mean? One of the things I always ask couples that I sit with is you did date this person, right? Nobody forced you to walk down the aisle, right? And that's usually the case. Yeah, okay, so you saw this, right? This is not a surprise to you. And more often than not, that the answer is, yes, I, I did see this and I knew this. Sometimes they think it might change later on for some reason. But they usually have an awareness that that there is something there that they that they will have to deal with in their life. And as long as they're both willing to take that, you know, to to take professional guidance and help and and learn those skills, then they can have very successful relationships. Gary okay, Rubin, let's go to the next live question. You're on. Hi. Hi. First of all, thank you for this year. Second of all, my question, as someone who is unmarried, I seem bombarded with all the negative narcissistic views of marriage. How can I keep my mind in a positive mindset in terms of marriage? Right. This is similar to, I, I have a good show for you. <laughs> First guy who asked the question. Yeah, exactly. Um, Coach Menachem will get to Shachana's here. But the, the short answer is, is that, is that we, we are we tend to hear all the all the stories as if like that, that's the norm, but it's really not the norm. The norm is is that Baruch Hashem, we have amazing couples that are that are really strong and striving and learning and growing and understanding, you know what relationships take and the work that goes into it. Um, you know, I sat with a certain gadol who shared with me. He said, you know, in many ways, we had a Messiah that went from the Bayashini all the way to the Second World War. And in that time, we, as children, were able to learn from parents what it meant to be emotionally healthy, what it meant to be a man, a woman, a father, a husband. You were able to just watch them and learn. And he shared with me, he said, from, from the Second World War, our world was turned into chaos. And much of that was lost to the part where a lot of people struggle with, you know, if you ask a group of 100 singles, do you want your marriage to be like your parents or stronger? I think everyone would say stronger. You know, I I, I do this all the time where I ask people to raise their hand. Who thinks their parents' marriage is the most ideal relationship? A handful of people raise their hand and most people go, "Mm, I don't know. I think we, I think I could do better than that. So we're in, we're in a day and age where we know that we have so much education and so much skill in ways that maybe didn't exist for a very, very long time. You know, at least here in America, I know we have a lot of people here listening from Europe and, and beyond. Um, in America, we're, 
you know, people go to therapy on a normal basis. Maybe they don't walk around and advertise it on their WhatsApp statuses, but we have a, a lot more of like an awareness. This show itself, right? How many people just listen to a therapist and say, oh, wow, that can transform my life. You, you would not have had that show 25 years ago. Just it would be a, like a taboo thing. Even just having the show, forget the topics on the show. But today we have so much awareness. You have more ability today to learn about marriage education before you get married than ever. I don't know. I don't want to say ever in history. I'm not that old, but you know, like you, you have real ability to learn about marriage and to develop real skills. And we really like, we'll set you up on your first date already. Cause we got a great eligible guy who, who Mamish has the same fears and, and outlook. So I think you're already halfway there. Okay. Ruben, let's get to some questions. Okay. We had a lot sure. of, Okay, some good questions came in. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start it off. Um, I know it's late, but we'll try to cover some of them. A college teacher sent me this question. Okay, yeah. Question. I often encounter this question: When should somebody seek the assistance of a marriage coach? When should somebody seek the assistance of a therapist? When should somebody seek the assistance of a rub? What are the distinctions between the roles, modalities, and goals? Great question. So I was once on a panel with Rabbi Zachary Wallace Dean Zetzel. And there was a series of Rabbanim therapists, coaches. It was like a long panel with a lot of us that were sitting up there. And somebody asked this exact question. And I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, to see that starting from the therapist all the way down, everybody agreed. It was literally unanimous. Everybody agreed that the first, let's call it the first line of defense, should be somebody who's qualified, who understands marriage, and who's able to like be the I'll call it the EMT. They're able to like figure out what's going on, maybe guide over to something a little bigger than themselves or be able to say, this is a simple case that can easily be you know, rectified. So therapy, the way I look at therapy is much more open heart surgery. It's real transformative. It's something that has to be cut open and understand what's really going on beneath the surface. Um, whereas I find that so many couples benefit from therapy, obviously, but many couples benefit from education. And I look at what I do as more of the education side of things. Like people are coming to me, they say, we have a problem. Okay, let's understand based on this and this model, if you can implement this and build your marriage. It's a very forward looking model. Whereas therapists who are you know qualified and trained, besides giving the front end of things, I like to believe that their skill is also in the back end of things where they're able to say, well, you know, the reason why you're behaving this way is based on your childhood trauma. And if you go through EMDR or inpatient or whatever the case may be, and they able to sort of, you know, open the person up, fix them up or help them fix themselves up, sew them back up and then say, and now here's the skills that you need going forward. So I like to think of it that what a lot of Rabbanim do is sort of that front line, the stabilization, the education and that forward looking view. Whereas what therapists are doing is more therapy based, open heart surgery, like really delving into the depths of what's going on, as well as uncovering and diagnosing things that otherwise, you know, wouldn't necessarily be, you know, within the purview of, of a rub. The same way, you know, we always say like you don't rely on doctors for psakalacha and you don't rely, you know, on certain people for medical opinions. Like there's the world of, there's the world of therapy and then there's the world of not therapy. So I think they each have their place. And I like to think about what we do as very much the front lines of things, but understanding that if, if a person is just going to start on their own calling therapists and trying to figure out who's good and who's not good and what the, what the core issues are, they oftentimes are going to spend years just trying to figure out, you know, how do I get into the right person to start figuring out the real underlying issues? 
Okay, let's go to another question that came in. Here is my, my spouse is kind-hearted, but they may not uh, possess the same level of intelligence. This dynamic affects our ability to collaborate on tasks such as homework, medical paperwork, and finances, leading to a gradual erosion of respect and love between us. It can also be embarrassing in the presence of other family members. Could you provide some encouragement or practical advice to navigate this situation? Yeah, I think that, I don't know if this question came in from a man or a woman, um, but I, I get this question in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, where where spouses tend to look at the other person as not having or sharing the same intelligence as them. But, you know, I, I oftentimes like to think that intelligence, there's various types of intelligence, right? Being socially aware is a type of intelligence. You know, being emotionally aware is a type of intelligence. And, you know, I once had a person who was complaining to me about how his wife, he kept, he kept saying she's she's not as smart as me and whatever. And we started talking. I started explaining to him that his, his spouse is actually much smarter than him in many areas. You know, he himself is is smart. Yeah, he's book smart. He may be, you know, whatever it may be, a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. He's able to pass tests. He's very good at that. But his wife's ability to connect to the neighbor who needs something and she knows what to make them and the words to say to make that person feel good, that's 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 amazing. That's a person who really has smarts and intelligence. So when, when a person says to me that I have a wife who's very nice or a husband who's very nice, just he's not smart, I would say maybe they are smart. And, and maybe if you tapped into their smarts, if you appreciated them for who they are and you understood that they actually are very intelligent, most people are smart in their own way. What if they focus on is going to be the area that they're smart in and you appreciate what you have, then you oftentimes will find that you have two perspectives on the same issue. So you may have the social side of things, the emotional side of things, and then the logical side of things. And both of those smarts will help you make a determination in whatever scenarios life will present to you. And the last thing I would just add over here is that the person saying that they get embarrassed from their spouse around other family members, that to me is a very bad sign. A person should not be embarrassed about their spouse in front of anybody. Your spouse is your spouse. You, you married this person willingly you dated them you understood that that people are so multifaceted people have within them so much they're not either smart or dumb or lazy or not lazy your spouse is made up of so many elements which are amazing and good and 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 they they have so much bracha you have so much bracha within your life so i would just encourage somebody who has that attitude that they really need to reframe for themselves this idea of what it means to be married to somebody you have to be mechabed your spouse and ex- accept your spouse more than yourself. More than yourself means the same way you accept your shortcomings, you accept their shortcomings. The same way you, you know you look up to yourself and you know your own kaychas, you do the same exact thing with your spouse. Somebody who says, I am embarrassed for my spouse, that person, I would just encourage them to, to put on glasses and realize the depths of who they're married to and understand that your spouse is incredible and amazing. You just have to spend the time to actually get to know them a little bit better. Okay, Mardik. Um, somebody keeps on texting this question, so let me ask it. My spouse and I are going through some difficult things right now, waiting for kids to get married, and a lot of different issues. I feel like I'm emotionally dealing with it okay, but my husband is really having a hard time working through his emotions. The problem is that I'm struggling with letting him sit in the disappointment and the frustrations without getting triggered and wanting to fix it. How can I go about doing that? Like, 
your spouse is, you and your spouse are going through something, but you're, for whatever reason, you have more koichas to navigate the, the, the stresses, but your spouse is just sitting in it and yeah. it's triggering you like, come on. You know what I mean? Yeah, I see this a lot. It might be couples that are going through infertility or people are going through different, you know, challenges or medical things. Um, I, I, the answer is, is that your emotions are not necessarily more correct than your spouse's emotions. Like Bar Hashem, you got yourself through this and you were able to navigate through this. But your spouse who's going through whatever it is that they're going through, support them. Understand that for you, it might, yeah, it's fine, we're good. But for them, it's not fine, it's not good. And if you're going to force that process, then whatever the Nisayan that they're going through, which is slowly changing them for the better, and that if they work through it on their own in a healthy way, where they come full circle to your level of acceptance, they will be a changed individual. But if you repress them and you don't allow them to express themselves and be themselves, you don't allow them to like go through that process, you, it's going to be a failed Nisayan. It's going to be an Nisayan that you didn't allow them to go the full gamut of what it is. So you are very lucky in the sense that you're both not struggling and you're able to be there strong for your spouse. But don't use your strength to highlight their weakness. Use their strength to be a support and allow them to finally come full circle in things. I love the live questions, by the way. I love them. No, because it's it's so it's Gavaldic. I love it. That's what we do. Yeah. Okay, let's yeah. go to the next question. I mean, there's more specific examples, but let's just take it in more in general. It's about burnout, right? Yes. What's going to be taken when both husband and wife just find themselves burning out? For for example, the wife is exhausted due to the baby being up all night, they're dealing with illnesses, the husband's overwhelmed, unable to provide support, and this is you no, know, it happens back and forth people just in situations and they're just juggling. Yeah. Resentment starts to build from the wife's perspective. I can't handle it on my own. While burnout occurs from the husband's point of view, when will this all settle down? Can't be there yeah. day and night without emergency. The situation is like a recipe for constant disaster. And yeah. How could we like break this cycle of just struggling with burnout? Yeah. So first of all, this couple needs help. <laughs> Meaning the couple needs, and I don't mean like in the couple sense, the couple needs help. A couple that's drowning, they can't keep their obligations, you know, to keep their head above water. They need help. They could be they need a seminary girl, you know, to come to the house and help with the children. They need something. There's no question they need something in their life to help them keep their 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 heads above water. And that's that's that side of things. But one thing I will throw out there is, you know, Chazal say it's Pirkei Avos, right? right? Don't judge your friend until you get to his his place. And I always like to read that Mishnah to say, we know that you're going to judge somebody. But before you judge them, first step into their makam for a minute. Take a minute to step into their world, their perspective, and see the world through what they're going through. And if you do that, then when you talk to them about your day, you'll actually talk to them about their day because you'll understand the stresses that they're going through. So if a wife is home and she's drowning because she's juggling taking a course and her children and everything else that she has going on, and then you have a husband who's working and he's juggling all the things that he's going on. And the first thing the wife says to the husband is, wow, you really work so hard for the family. I know how you're putting in all these hours and you're so, you're so smart and you're so dedicated. And she really steps into his world for a minute to show him that he's understood. And he takes a minute to step into her, her world to show that, that she's understood. That will their batteries are being charged because they're feeling something. What happens in, in most couples that are starting to burn out is they both start to pull. So therefore he comes home and he's like, oh, I had the worst day. I don't have patience for you. I don't have time for you. I can't give you anything. Where's my supper? And she's like, I'm burned out. I couldn't make you anything. It's ridiculous. You come home, you're just in a bad mood. So it's just two people that are just pulling for their own needs to be met. If they switch places for a little bit 
and they start to charge each other's batteries, they will get very, very far. Obviously, they need help. And sometimes the help that they need is to re restructure the, the the daily schedule so that they're spending real time with each other. A couple can't run on empty from Shabbos to Shabbos. It just doesn't work. Your marriage can't take a break for so long. And if it if it's doing that, there's going to be a lot. Like I say, it's, it's a gap. And in that gap is just going to build up resentment and anger and distrust and, and, and disrespect. It's just going to build in there. It's going to be like an infection. So it's important that they recognize that we love each other. We care for each other. We're just overwhelmed. Let's take the steps to start mending that. Let's call it level one. Let's start taking those steps to build that level one so that our relationship is strong. Okay, Marilyn. Okay, you're on live. Hello? Yes. Okay. Um, how does one find out information for prospective shidduch for one's child when the person, when the boy girl comes from a family that's divorced? How you don't know anything, you don't know anything about the family, you don't know who to ask. But in my mind, there are so many different pieces that need to come together that this person can bring to the marriage. What's the emotional piece? How does he manage it? How does he get along with his parent or the estranged parent? There are so many pieces. I don't want to say no to a shidduch like this, but I feel like saying no because it's way too big and scary. Yeah, it's a very good question. I'll address it like this, you know, children who come from divorced homes or, you know, really people who come from any sort of, you want to call it a flag. In my mind, you know, this is just an opportunity to ask questions so that the person themselves is not, is not the next victim of whatever went through. So that means parents who divorce, their children went through something. So now there's going to be questions. There's going to be obvious questions. Those questions have to be asked. It's not fair to just say to the person, well, because your parents are divorced, I'm not even looking into it. So I commend you for taking the time to, to look into it, to like be you know, responsible in what you're doing, that you're looking into it and you're making sure you're finding the right answers, but that you're not just saying, well, I, this is too much for me. The, the answer to your question is, is that there are usually either friends, rebeim, sometimes even therapists that are able to shed light into what the person went through in their life. That doesn't mean you're going to find out all the details of the divorce and you may not be able to find out, you know, the whole entire backstory, which is fine because the key is not really finding out the the past and what happened in the relationship. What's more important is that you're finding out how this person was impacted. And if they, as a potential you know, spouse for your child or for somebody that you're doing research on, are they going to be able to be a healthy individual, that ground level, healthy? Are they able to come into this relationship? So asking questions like, I know that the mother had custody and this child was not really, you know, close to his father. How did this person get skills in their life? Are they confident? Are they, you know, able to carry themselves or are they emotionally balanced? Have they gone through therapy? These questions are questions that you oftentimes can find the party that will be able to answer them. It's usually either a friend or a Rebbe or something along those lines. Um, and again, we, we live in an amazing world where when a child goes through something, usually there is some sort of support that steps in and, and is able to like help that person get through life. Hopefully it's, it's a Rebbe, it's a Menahel, it's somebody who's able to step in there. And if you start with the resume, which is just a starting point, 
where they usually have people listed and you say to them, okay, thank you so much for being on the resume. You ask them your questions. And now who is not on the resume that you could refer me to that knows this person better or that can address how this person dealt with you know, these challenges that they've gone through in their life, you oftentimes will find real answers, you know, real answers. And if you're, if you're comfortable enough that the couple is able to go on a date, then oftentimes, you know, it's usually not on date number one, but as things start to develop between the couple, you know, that's when usually it makes sense for the person to bring up, oh, you know, um, you mentioned before that your parents got divorced when you were 14 years old. How did that impact you? And the person's usually able to like allow the conversation to flow. And if the answers are are correct and the answers are, are um, congruent with what you heard beforehand in 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 your research, I think you're going to be very pleasantly, like you'll be happy. Like, oh, this person sounds well-balanced. This is what the therapist said. This is what his rub said. This is what this person said. Usually if the information is lining up, you know, it, it's good. It's very important. I just want to reiterate, it's very important that people whose parents or family members have gone through something, they can't become the next person that's just like off on the side. It's not their fault. They didn't do something wrong. If somebody went through a trauma or, or a drama in their life, it's not their fault. They didn't do anything have to make sure that that person feels it and and ashracha that you're able to like, you know, you're able to like see that. I have to say, you know, Menachem and uh, that, you know, you guys are amazing, but I think your audience is even more amazing. Like the, the people who are, who are here, who are open, there, there's real good, like, like, like good hashkafa here. These are great questions. You know what I mean? It's like, like I'm blown away, not just by you guys, but by the audience. I have to just say that. It's not us. It's our audience and the speaker. We put them together. So here we are. Here's another question that somebody uh, emailed. As a newly married husband, I find myself facing conflicts between my wife and my mother on certain issues. On particular, one particular disagreement is about the frequency of our Shabbos visits to my mother's house while my mother expects us to come every other week. My wife feels more comfortable staying home, prefers not to spend as much time with my mother. How should I navigate this situation and find a resolution that respects my both my wife's comforts and my mother's expectations? Yeah. So like I said in the beginning, there, the in-law issues is more prevalent than that poll was indicative of. I, I really find it's, it's, it's a higher number. It's a number, I, I'm throwing out a number of 25 to 30%. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but in my experience, I find that it's it's much more prevalent than people, you know, believe. Um, I think that there's a balance here, okay? Um, on the one hand, on the one hand, parents deserve respect. They brought you into this world. There's a mitzvah of kibbutz of aim, and a child would be very well advised to look at the interaction with their parents as every time you're doing this, somebody's giving you a thousand dollar bill. You know, you call your mother, you get a thousand dollars. You go for Shabbos, you get five thousand dollars. If you if you view them with the same covered rush as you did money, even though people don't enjoy their jobs, they go to their jobs, they go, they work, because at the end of the day there's a nice payday for them. If you view the relationship with all of its challenges in that sense, you oftentimes will find that the relationship, you know, can develop. And I would implore the couple to have a conversation about how much they can give and put in, in a way that they don't feel that they're being completely, you know, destroyed by, you know, the parents who are there. Um, and if they're able to do that on a consistent basis, 
oftentimes parents will settle because they feel, wow, this is great. On the other hand, I want to throw something out there, which I think is very important, not just for newlywed couples, but also for parents of newlywed couples, is that what I find is that the same way women have an internal smoke alarm that goes off when they sense disconnection, parents of newlyweds have a a smoke alarm that goes off when they sense that their children are not in a good place, which is why you find that so many newlyweds have parental intervention that the parents call up, where are you going for Shabbos? What are you doing on Tuesday? What are you doing? Eating gefilte fish? It's like, what's what's all the questions? Like, what's going on here? Like, why don't you just trust me as an adult? And the answer is they trust you as an adult, but they don't trust your relationship which is two weeks old because the relationship is only two weeks old. And there's a shift that happens with parents towards their children in that regard. And if, if children showed their parents that they were strong, if they said, you know, when they're engaged, even start, I want you to know my fiance, they're so smart and they're so dedicated and they're, they're, they really, you know, speak up their mylas to your, to your parents, like show them that you guys are actually building something and you talk to them and you say, you know, we really love you. We're going to come over Matzah Shabbos. But this Shabbos, we decided we really wanted to have like opportunity for us to bond because we have such a such a crazy week. We hope you understand this Shabbos. We really want some of our own time to be able to bond. Most parents who are healthy usually will go along with that because they see that their children, like I said like before, I said they're before, speaking they're... to the emotional point that's being raised. The parents are usually saying, we want you in our house so we could keep an eye on you. We could see that you're doing okay and see what's going on in your home. But if you say to them, thank you so much, but we're actually doing very well. And we're going to give you a ton of nachas if you let us build something. Most healthy parents will back off and they will allow you to do that. If it's unhealthy and they're just totally involved in the, in, in the children's lives, then obviously they need guidance on a case-by-case basis how to balance those two things, giving the covered and building their home. Okay, let's try to hop around a few more. Got it, Ruby? Yep. Okay, next live question you're on. Thank you for this. Um, thank you, everybody. Epstein, everything you're saying is amazing. Um, I was actually very nervous to get on, but I think that after you were saying how you appreciate the live questions, and I don't know, I hope I can get this over properly. But I'm married about, I guess, 10 years about, and I feel like we're just at a point of just coexisting. You know, I'm sure a lot of people are at this point also. Um, I, I love the idea of spending quality time and, you know, trying to once a week, whatever it is. My husband feels like it's like, eh, what's the point? Like, feels like we're, we're doing the problem. So if it's not something that he's interested in doing, then obviously it's not something that we can do. Is there anything else that can be done to, I guess, make more, I don't know, exciting or whatever the word is, and not just, you know, not spending our time doing bills, discussing the kids? Yeah. Okay. So your question is about coexisting, which to me, um, is the antithesis is the antithesis of marriage. Marriage is kesher, which means connection, and somebody who's coexisting is disconnected. They're living their own lives in the same house. They might be in the same house, which is which is a good step, but they're not living a, a dialed in life, a life of like real connection. So, what I would encourage you to do is either have like a real conversation with your husband to explain to him why it's important to you, or what I see a lot of people do is they sit down with their husband and show them some classes of people talking about the importance of why it's important to be dialed in to connect to somebody else. And if that's not working, I'm going to say something that might, you might give me pushback, but I would encourage you 
that the greatest thing you can do is have a voice in your marriage and say to your husband, say, I really want to go talk 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 to our rav together. I think this is really important that we schmooze this through, not in a not in a, a, a negative way or in a con, you know confrontational way. You're talking to them and you're saying to them, I want the best life with you. I love you and I want more time with you. I want more time with you. I want to get to know you better. I want you to get to know me better. I want to understand you. I want to encourage you. I want to live a life that's enmeshed with you. I have a vision. If you don't share that vision, let's go speak to somebody and see. Maybe you're Taka right. Maybe I'm crazy and I just, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. But on the chance that I'm wrong, that you're wrong and that I'm right, is it, wouldn't it be amazing to have this kind of relationship? I think that, you know, you're, the best thing you can do is have a voice where your, where your spouse goes along with this. And I, I want to just use your question as a springboard for a different thing, which is a lot of times people are not interested in talking to somebody because they feel like, you know, I, I just, I don't want to talk to somebody. I, I'm, I'm good. Like I said before, most men, we're good. We don't want complaints. And therefore, why do we want somebody who's, who's fetching to us? But if you say to your spouse, you say, listen, you know, I want to be the best wife for you. Can you come with me to somebody to explain to me how to be the best wife for you? It's not about you. It's about me. You often, like by getting them in the door, I'm telling you, I use this tool all the time and it works. People, it's not, and we're not tricking people. We're, we're getting the husband to, to, to understand the wife's vision or the wife to understand the husband's vision. And then you're able to watch people say, oh my goodness, I totally didn't know that. I didn't know that. I have people come here every single night. They sit in my office and they look around and they go like, oh, why are we here? Like, we're here to like, I'm like, you're not here to like, look at my sperm or to look at me. You're here, you're here because somebody wants you to be here. And when they start to hear like a vision, they're like, really? I, I never saw it that way. But then they, 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 when the picture is painted for them and they understand the benefits to them, to them, I don't be selfish, be selfish, be the most right, selfish so husband I... in the world. Yeah. Yeah, no, like sometimes the, this conversation has come up at times, you know, where I, I try to express that, you know, I feel like I need more and he doesn't understand. He's like, what do you mean? Like, everything's fine. So, you know, like, so tell me, tell me what's bothering you. Tell me what's wrong. So like, you know, you can try to s- explain what's bothering you, but I feel like then it ob- automatically becomes more confrontational and, you know, he's going to be automatically more on guard and, you know, well, why do you feel that way? You know, I right. whatever. Right. That's a, that's a trick question. I wouldn't answer that. I wouldn't say anything's wrong. I would say everything is right and you're doing a great job and it's amazing. I, I feel like, you know, we could always just take things to the next level and our marriage just needs a little bit more attention and time to be put in. And let's just go, let's just go learn about it. Meaning you're a classic case of a couple that I think should not go to therapy because then your husband's going to be like one foot out the window, not even the door. He's going to be right through the glass. <laughs> he's not going to be even listening to a word that's being said because he's going to be like, why are you schlepping me here? I'm not, there's nothing wrong with me. You would be a classic right. example of somebody that should not go to therapy, who should, who should go and say, we, I just want to sit with somebody, just schmooze it through. Like we're doing great. You're like doing Rob great. Or something. Exactly, exactly. We're doing amazing. We just want to know how do we become even more amazing? That's it. And, and then if the rub you, suggests this idea of, you know, spending quality time and he's like, when there, there's no time in the day, he work, he learns in the morning, he works, he learns at night and there's, there's no time. It, exactly. So that's when a rub will help him understand that his wife needs to be a priority and that he can figure out and you can figure out how to make that, that happen. Meaning your needs will be met because a rub will, will hopefully understand what, what's missing over here. One of the first mm-hmm. things I do with couples, I ask them to tell me their schedule. 
And whenever they lay it out, I'm like, oh, great. So you guys have no marriage. They're like, how did you know? I'm like, because there's because there's no room here for marriage. You understand? If, right, if you're yeah. working 18 hours a day, so you clearly don't have a marriage. But but how did you know? Because it's not on your schedule. So that's it. It's very simple. So somebody somebody should be able to point that out to him um, in a very loving and caring way that he doesn't feel judged or anything. And and that's I I think that's exactly what you need. Okay. Thank you. All right. Okay. Let's go. One last live question. You're on. I lost him. Hold on one second. There he is. Hold on. I'm you. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Coach Menachem, Usher, and Rabbi Epstein. Great, great session. I'm looking forward to hearing the replay because I missed some of it. But you mentioned the, the Holocaust, and I heard Ramatisio Solomon Shlita said that the Holocaust never ended. So if the Holocaust never ended, and we're talking about second generation, third generation, all that, why can't there be an acceptance that everybody who goes through the traumas of divorce, abuse, et cetera, are literally Holocaust survivors? I know, I don't recall ever in my readings about Holocaust survivors that people said, oh, you went to Auschwitz? I can't marry you. You, you got beaten? I can't marry you. You lost all your money? I can't marry you. They were all the same. They all rebuilt. And we talk about it, the shameless Paris. They all rebuilt from the ashes. So all the yeah. people in, who, are, who are suffering are in the ashes. I get it. You, you know, if you're a normal yeshivisha, you know, top-notch yeshiva student, seminary student, etc., you don't want to touch that person who's, you know, tainted, divorced, abused, I don't know, whatever. But this, this we're living with the problem. It's, you said yourself, all this stuff is coming across your desk, infidelity, abuse, everything. So someone's got to take action and say, we're, we're, the Holocaust, or whatever you want to call it, is real. So we, we got to stop this, you know, I call it foolishness and, and say, let's accept the generation for where we're at. There's so much going on. And every, and every, every household suffers from something. Yeah. What would you like, practically, what would you like to, to see differently? I, I, I was going to preface my remark. It's not from the most practical questions, but if you're in the trenches, this is what I would tell, I'd tell people, keep saying, keep encouraging them to reach out to other people, not, not, not to segregate and say, okay, the abused are over there and, and the ones who aren't abused are over here because it's, it's not like that anymore. Maybe 20 years ago, it was all swept under the carpet, but now every single family on everybody's block, everybody has children, adults. We're all, we're all the same. We're all, we're all in this together. The 50-year-olds, the 20-year-olds, every, everybody's going through the same issues. Yeah. I, your question or, or is- Or just it, drop is... the Holocaust and say, and say the, forget about the Holocaust. So, okay, it happened 75 years ago. It has nothing to do with what's going on now. But if we're talking about it, might as well yeah. use it as a, as, a, as a tool to say, let, let, you know, we don't have to go through every single concentration camp and ghetto and understand what happened, but understand that what happened there on a physical level and on an emotional level is happening now. You say depression yeah. is real, molestation is real, abuse is real. So if it's all real, so then let's deal with it. Let's not keep saying, oh, I see this one came up on the resume. Okay, no, no good. We can't deal with it. Right. It's, you know, it's almost like the resumes are a waste of time. Or, well, or they're, they're defeating the purpose for the people who are suffering. Yeah. Let me let me throw this out there. Um, I, I would like to I would like to say that I think it's I wouldn't call it a Holocaust survivor because to think about what somebody who went through Auschwitz for five years went through versus you know today's generation, I would call it the repercussions of the Holocaust, you know, or the ripple effect of the Holocaust rather than the Holocaust. It's very hard for us to say that we're Holocaust survivors 
what what Holocaust survivors went through in one day is more trauma than you know anybody in this generation could even fathom. You know, went through so the fear and the abuse and everything that they went through is it's, it's, it's we can't even wrap our minds around that. But I will definitely acknowledge for sure, and this is what I was saying before that the repercussions of the Holocaust of the traumas as a, as an as a nation that we've gone through those effects are definitely being heard today. And and I, I want to just highlight based on your question, you know, which is, you know, when I'm sitting in my office, oftentimes I'm hearing the most shocking things that you could possibly imagine. Sometimes I'm like, is this real? Is this real life? Like, I can't believe that I'm sitting here with somebody wearing a yarmulke and tzitzis and, and a shaitel, and this is what I'm hearing. It just doesn't seem to make any sense. Like your mind can't process it. But at the same time, at least for me, there's a certain acceptance because a lot of times, and I'm not here to say this as a general sense, a lot of times it's not that person's fault. It's based on what they went through in their childhood, the neglect that they went through, the trauma that they went through. So it, it leaves it leaves me with a certain amount of acceptance. You know, I, I'll I'll just tell you, you know, one of the the strongest people I know is a person who struggles. They went through severe abuse. And they struggle every single Shabbos to keep Shabbos. Every single Shabbos, they text me and they say, I just want you to know I just broke Shabbos. And then they go, they break Shabbos. And I said, please don't text me on Shabbos that you broke Shabbos. It breaks my heart every time that you're breaking Shabbos. After Shabbos, you'll text me, you know, how hard, how long you're able to stay, you know, strong and make it through Shabbos. And I I remember one Shabbos, I got a text maybe like an hour before Vizman. I got a text and, and she wrote, Rabbi Epstein, I made it this far, this Shabbos. And I opened it up right after Abdullah and I almost started crying. I said, is it good that this person is not keeping Shabbos? Shabbos is Shabbos. You got to keep Shabbos. But look how strong this person is trying to be present for her to be present in this world is, is extremely challenging. They need this escape. They need this phone, this avenue that they could just get out of this world. Shabbos for them is literally, it's like pikoach nefesh. For them to go through Shabbos, it being here, you know, they attempt sometimes to escape this world because it's just too painful for them. So to me, it's not about recognizing what's going on. I see what's going on. It's it's about the love and the acceptance that people have gone through so much. And, and so many of these questions, people say, my spouse is going through this and I accept them for what they're going through. Right, this person knows that the, that somebody went through a divorce, but nevertheless, I want this boy to get married. I just have to make sure that it's not going to negatively that the shidduch is not going to be negatively impacted based on on the you know on the divorce that the parents went through. So what I'm saying is, your point is such a strong point that we as a nation have gone through so much, and we have to recognize it and not be so judgmental when we see and hear stories of people that that have gone through things. So we're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, we all unfortunately are surrounded by so much. And in many senses, you know, what comes across my desk is exactly along those lines of things that are hair raising and shocking. But at the same time, the emotional strength that I see in people, the resilience, the ability to transform your life and your marriage and really take it to another level. I'm, I, I, I literally, I steer in awe at people who, to me, it's the definition of greatness. A person who struggles like that, the way that they struggle, and they're able to keep up a strong face and have a good family and a good job and be healthy in whatever way that they're able to, 
to me, my hat is off to these people. It's literally standing, you know, in our time, like, you know, we're like grasshoppers in the eyes of greatness, of great people who really struggle on a daily basis with what they've gone through. So your question and the awareness of your question is right on point, right on point. And then you have people who've gone through those journeys and we have to just make sure we're bringing each other up and we're not bringing each other, each other down. That's all I would say. As long as we're bringing each other up, we're encouraging each other, we're making sure that there's enough healthiness that is going around and education that is going around and awareness that is going around. I think that that's the key. And that's, that's the key to success. And somebody who says, I don't see that in my life. I don't see that in my marriage. I don't see that in my family. There's so many resources. There's so many resources. Realize, it's up to you. You could transform your life. You could transform your marriage. Don't be the person who says, I don't know, or I'm going to just start fighting with my spouse to get them to change. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Be the person that, that learns to accept them for who they are, that has a real respect for the person's journey that they're going through, an appreciation for them, but make sure you're standing there when they come out of the terminal, when they get off the plane from that rehab, make sure you're there for them. When that person comes back from therapy and they say, I had the hardest session and they're crying their eyes out, don't be that person who says, yeah, I told you so. Be the person that says, wow, you're really strong. If you have that that mindset, I, I think you're able to really, really see transformation. It's very interesting. I'll just want to share with you. I'm not the most positive person in the world. You know, some people like everything is, you know, rainbows and sugar candy. That's really not my teva. I'm just truly inspired by people that go through hardship and they push and they push and they push and they really see transformation. When a person says to me, I was the world's worst spouse and five years later, this person is is like, wow, like this guy or this woman, this is an incredible relationship. My hat is off to them. How, how I don't even hold a candle to these people, what they've actually gone through. So your question is, Amazing. It should be up in lights everywhere that we are feeling the effects, the ripple effects of what, as a nation, the trauma that we've gone through. But with all that, there's so much resilience and so much beauty and, and so much that we can learn from each other. As long as we keep being mechazak each other, I think, you know, we, we can see so much good come out of what, whatever we have going on. Okay, that was powerful. Uh, just a little... Uh... One more question before we go to closing. Sure. Somebody sent in our son revealed to us that his wife is having some emotional struggles right now. Said she took a break from work and is not really telling us much more what's going on. We told him that we're here, you know, if he needs anything. Is there anything more we can do as parents as we don't want to be intrusive? Yeah. I think that parents whose children are going through something um first of all i think that it's important for them to maintain a certain some sometimes let me say it like this every person who goes through a challenge people go through different challenge the same challenge different ways you get people who've gone through infertility you have people gone, gone through marriage everyone goes through it in their own way your job as a parent is to be there your right hand is outstretched. You should know, my child, we're here for you. You reveal this to us. We appreciate your openness and how candid you were with us. I want you to know we're here for you a million percent. We don't judge you. We don't look down at you. 
We love you and we embrace you. And the second thing is the most obvious thing, which is money. They probably are going to need some sort of financial support if they're going through something either emotional or medical. Don't ask too many questions. Don't become their bookkeeper, their accountant. Say to them, this is what we're able to do for you. If you need it, it's available for you. Or we're putting this into your account. If you need it, spend it. If you don't, you could send it back. That Those two things. If you're there for your child and you support them, they oftentimes will come back to you. They will talk to you. They will open up to you and they'll say what's going on. If you try to pry into their life, to give them unsolicited advice, to tell them that you understand them when you don't understand them, or anything along those lines, they oftentimes will distance themselves for you. So a person like this, whose children open up to them and they're there and they're telling their kids that they're supportive, I think that that's the best thing that parents can do for their children. And along whatever nisayan they're going through, respect their privacy. Allow them to go through this journey on their own together as a couple, a strong couple. Don't put your view on things, you know, oh, did you know anybody who goes through, like, don't, don't share your opinions. They, they're probably not interested in your opinions unless they're asking. If they come and they sit down and they ask, the best thing you can do is usually an, become an active listener. Make them know that the door is open for them to come anytime they want to talk to you. And if you do that, they oftentimes will come. If they feel judged or if they feel like, you know, awkward around the rest of the family or unaccepted, then th- that door is going to close very, very quickly. Okay, everyone, let's go to closing. You ready? Ready. Okay. All right. So, first of all, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Take a breather. <laughs> okay, first, I want to thank everybody for coming on tonight. Tremendous program. Vivaldic, like you said, the people, people's the program. People's the program. Subscribe for coming on and giving tremendous physic. And Ruben, next time, next time with your wife. I'm not sure. I'm I texted her, she wasn't around. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, again, tonight's show is 145. Anybody wants to join the WhatsApp chat, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. You can email coach, or you can go to menachembermanful.com, sign up for his uh, email uh, list, so you get the replays and everything. Again, for anybody who's here the first time, every Sunday at 9.30, we have this Zoom, different topics, different shirim, different speakers. Next Sunday, we're going to have uh, the Jewish Tony Robbins, Shmuel Reichman, who's going to be talking about, does Hashem want you to financially succeed? And if so, how to do it? So it should be a powerful program. He's a, he's, a, he's a really powerful speaker. Please join us. Let everybody know about it. Again, everything's recorded. Make sure will be on menachembernfeld.com. If anybody has any questions, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. If you want to listen to this this program on the phone, it will be up on the lines. Make sure hopefully by tomorrow morning, 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. If anybody wants to get in touch with Ruben Epstein, you can go to his uh, website, which is marriage which is marriagepro.co. Oh. Yeah. Ruben, what's your email address? Can you say it slowly? Yeah, email at marriagepro.co. Email okay. at marriagepro.co, not .com. Okay, got it. Again, thank you to all the advertising sponsors, Lake Scoop, Elinero, Five Times Central, Chayla Kalkin, JCN. And Ruben, thank you so much. It was really, really powerful tonight. We're going to go first to Coach Menachem. Ruben, you have two minutes to think of all the things we spoke about in the last two hours. Leave us with a closing improv. Coach Menachem. Yes, thank you, Rabbi Epstein. Tonight's program was amazing, and I do have to thank all the people that asked questions tonight. To be honest, what's going on, and there are a lot more sitting behind the cameras, being able to relate, to connect what's going on. And by listening, people asking how you answer. And we did touch some, um, you know, heavy areas that we didn't talk about and we need to talk about more. 
but it's not easy. And everybody in their situation, their challenge, like you mentioned, being present in this world, being present today's days, sometimes is a challenge. And like you said, marriage is the best course for self-awareness. And there's always two ways to go, you know, one way is to get into it and work your way through, or to drink, or to run away from it, because it's so hard, because you're facing those things that you don't like to see, those triggers, you know, pressing your buttons, which could be very hard. And talking about acceptance, accepting where we are. There's one thing that I want to mention before, you know, we all have things, whether it's me or my spouse, whether it's you or your spouse, we all have different personalities. We all have our ups and downs. Things like Rabbi Schaefer loves to say, go to the mirror and say, you are a difficult person to live with. <laughs> Get the idea that we all have, we all have our things and to be able to accept somebody else's or to understand somebody else's, to be there for somebody else. You have to be able to be there for yourself. To understand that we, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm working on it. Hopefully, you know, one day. But while I'm on that journey, I'm able to be there for myself. Understand. And to continue not to give up. So when the other person is working on it, you're there for them. You understand them. So, yes, it is a challenge for many. And hopefully we'll be able to pick up some information, some ideas, some small steps to be able to take and admit Hashem to work on ourselves to be able to see some change. And admit Hashem, with that, we can see change around us. So my bracha to all of you, admit Hashem, that it should be a little bit easier. Thank you so much. Okay, Ruben, let's go. All right, so... I just want to share with everybody a, a medrash that I recently saw, which absolutely just blew my mind. And if the medrash didn't say this, um, I don't know if anybody really could say this, but this is what the medrash says. We're all familiar with half the medrash. The medrash says, Arbam yayim kaidem havlad, bas kol bas right? That's everybody knows that 40 days before so babies, babies conceived, a basko comes out and says, but the Medrash then says that it also says, and also it also says that this girl who will be born will be this guy's wife, but it also says, and also the wife of Ruvain will become the wife of Shimon. Now, what does that mean? This guy's wife is going to become this guy's husband? Like, what does that mean? So the basic answer that most people would say is because it's talking about a Zivikshani. It's talking about the second time around, right? So it's saying that, you know, Ruvain marries Rachel and then they get divorced. So now Ruvain's wife was now going to marry Shimon. But Chazal say a very fascinating idea, which if, again, if Medrus didn't say this, I think it's very hard for us to say, but I think that the, the lesson is very profound. Chazal say that every person has various levels within their zivugim, within their peers, of how close and compatible they could be with various people. And if you want to look at it, let's say like seven levels, the first level, the closest person, that person that you just see eye to eye and you click and you stim and everything just works very, very well. That is your destined wife. If you're Zaycha, you get her. Some people, they go out, it just in a second, it clicks and they're able to just be off to the races. Those people is Bas Pliny Lepliny. 
that's what those people are. They married their intended wife. But then you have some people who that's not what happens. Because of various factors, various things that are way beyond our control, they get the second level, the third level, the fourth level. And those levels, those further levels, that's not really their number one level. And those people have to struggle. And those people, they're their boss Pliny, the one who was their initial one, the one that could have been the most compatible with them, is the second level for for Yankel, for the other guy. And therefore, their Ashes Pliny is married to another person. And that's what the Medra says. That some people, they will click right off the bat. And some people will not click. But what is the message? So therefore, Mamela what? So, so what? So what's the Medra telling us? I think the answer is, is that what every single person who's married I would say more than a few minutes realizes is that marriage comes with its own personal avoda for each and every person. Every person, after you get married, you start to realize that I have to work on my laziness. I have to work on my anger. I have to work on being dialed in. I have to work. The work is an enjoyable work. If you fight it, it becomes very challenging. But as long as you're willing to understand that marriage is about a connection, and you're, you're dialing into your, to, to the person who's going to make your life the most incredible and unbelievable experience, and you're willing to have a hachna, like lower yourself, to hear somebody else, to realize that they are smart, and they are talented, and they have a perspective that you haven't thought about, and that being in your own world is is not good. If you recognize that, and you have the emotional fortitude to be challenged, and you also are able to vocalize and verbalize for your spouse and for yourselves how to bring your marriage to the next level, it can't get better than that. It just can't get better than that. And the Medrash is telling us, yes, some people will click. But even the people that don't click, you should know, when you got married, there was Bas Pliny, Pliny, the ones that just stimmed, that just clicked right away. And then there's the ones that take a little bit more effort. But if you're willing to put in that effort, you should know you can get to unbelievable heights. People who struggle through life, and I, I believe that I really have a front row seat to seeing people who struggle in various things in their life. They oftentimes come out stronger, more aware, more in tune than people who have easy street. And if you think about anybody who's, achi- who's achieved anything great in life, they oftentimes had to go through a process where it was uncomfortable because uncomfortability Greatness requires that uncomfortability. And a person who realizes, they look around their spouse, at their spouse and they say, what do I have over here? We have addictions, we have problems, we have all these issues. The same way somebody else could accept them for who they are, you too could ex- ex- accept them for who they are. If you put your own needs aside for a little bit and you realize that by building that level one, your spouse is gonna be much more willing to change much more open to hearing what you have to say about them. If you are able to do that, you're able to put your own emotional needs on the side for a little bit, you actually can see tremendous amount of growth. And it's really a schuss for me to be able to have that front row seat to people who are willing to listen and hear real education based on a Messiah and take those tools and really build something amazing. So Ashrechem, thank you guys so much for, first of all, for having me. And I think your audience is, is out of this world, people who are really listening and their perspectives are so amazing and mature and growth. It's really humbling. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me on here. And yeah, next time, I'd love to do this with my wife.
Okay, Gavaldik. Okay, everybody have a great night. We'll see you next week, Sunday night, 9.30 with Rabbi Shmuel Reichman. Good night, everybody. Ruin, get some rest. Shkaya, thank you so, so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.